Tarantino without Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez kind of closes his Desperado trilogy and the biggest week ever for TV shows millennials love or think they do. This week on 30 Hello, everyone, and welcome to 302010, the Internet's weekly pop culture time machine. Each week, we take you back uh, across three decades throughout one week of history, 302010, 30, 20, and 10 years ago. This week, it'll be the week of September 8th to the 14th across 1993, 2003, and 2013. And right off the bat, I'm going to tease you with might be the biggest week of TV we've ever talked about with a stupid little song I put together to torture your eardrums. Your powers combined, I am Captain Planet! Legends of the Hidden Temple. As captain of the Seacrest and its crew, we are its guardians. Today on Ricky Lake. <laughs> To beat the master The power is yours. Oh my god, the 93 seconds. And those are all from 1993. <laughs> it's gonna be so stacked. Just giving you a quick tease. Hi, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. Who else is with me? Well, it's kind of spoiled it, but I'm Diana Goodman and I have three requirements. I want a pay or play contract, I want to be zany <laughs> to the max, and I want baloney in my slacks. <laughs> two out of three ain't bad <laughs> and who else is with us and i'm jr rolls and rest in peace jimmy buffett that guy yeah. had the most amazing career he had one solo song make the billboard year-end top 100 list and he died a billionaire with a b wow. there's only six musicians richer than jimmy buffett six that's it. Every other musician poorer than Jimmy Buffett. It's a Beatle, it's an incredible a story. Doctor Dre. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm kind of out. Maybe uh, maybe Bob Dylan after that catalog mm. sale. I couldn't. I couldn't guess. Drake. Maybe he. Uh, anyway, keep going. No. Anyways, I thought it would be fitting. I know we don't normally do this, but could we please play his most famous song of all time? Of course, everybody of wants to hear it. We're all in mourning. Life's too complicated. Yeah! It's too I was set up. I did not do it. Bounce from town to town like rubber checks. How we see people at concerts and karaoke scenes going, Buffett, play the Johnny Bago theme song. We will never escape Johnny Bago. I, I think uh, you got to imagine Jimmy Buffett became a billionaire with a B for all the excess money made by baby boomers because. How do you walk to a billionaire and ask him to record the Johnny Bago theme song? <laughs> I think it was before he hit billionaire status, but Margaritaville chain is very yep. popular. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a solid chain. It's it says what it is on the tin. You know, my one I've of my neighbors who I don't know, Margaritaville retirement communities. <gasps> yeah. Oh, I want to go. Uh, <laughs> I, I, 
all podcasts but us are horrible. Never listen to them. But if you were, listen to Podcast the Rides episode on Margaritaville. Mm. It is hilarious. And I, I'm neighbors with the guy who deals his buses. And I think it's exclusively to him. And every once in a while, it'll look like there's a WrestleMania happening at someone's three-acre household. Because, <laughs> I don't know, like that many buses, Jesus Christ, that guy made a ton of money. Back to 302010's format, September 8th through the 14th, 1993. Let's go back in time. 30 years ago, uh, September 8th through the 14th, a little bit of news to bring you in. Oh, what's this? A civil lawsuit is filed against... Michael Jackson by 13-year-old Jordan Chandler and his parents accusing the singer of sexually abusing the boy over the course of their friendship. Oh, my God. So we talked about a couple of weeks ago about, you know, the, there were rumors. There's an investigation. There's, there's stuff going on. And now they finally file the lawsuit. Jackson cancels the rest of his dangerous world tour because he says it's just so stressful. It's hurting his health and understandable. This goddamn saga is... There is no way to figure out what really happened because Jordan Chandler's a 13-year-old who's become friends with Michael Jackson. Do they sleep in the same bed sometimes? Yes, but they're clothed. That's what someone saw. His parents are divorced. It's not an amicable divorce. And his his mom supports him hanging out with Jackson and his dad doesn't. And that seems to be a big part of what might be going on. The plausible deniability of Jackson supporters is definitely that dad's an asshole mm -hmm. and he's just looking for a check. And it just, what they leave out is that he sues and Michael Jackson makes him several counter offers of an awful lot of money to make him go away. Mm. And it's not enough. So, mm. yeah, uh, uh, there's a lot of stuff to think about. when We talk about Michael Jackson's legacy. But what I will say about watching that documentary, what is it? Beyond Neverland? Mm -hmm. uh, something right. Neverland. Neverland? Uh, it's the one without Johnny Depp. It, <laughs> it's... Beyond the testimonials of the victims, there is video footage, and there is nothing in that video footage that is different from a way a groupie is handled, or talked to, or lied to, or promised things, or told outright, I love you so much, I just want to be with you. You believe what you want, you can tell me everything about the evidence, that video footage is damning in and of itself. I will believe every victim that comes forward. Moving. I I do generally believe victims. This one I feel bad because it, it feels like he did not, the kid did not come forward and disclose things without an awful lot of people pressuring to do so, mm. which is not a good way of doing things. I mean, this is going to be like you need to support, but not <clears throat> push too hard. It's an ugly but situation yeah, made uglier yeah. by money and fame. For me, it just, it doesn't pass the common sense test. Yep. I know a lot of parents, none of us have ever slept with uh, in the same bed as other people's children. Mm -hmm. That's just not something normal nope. people tend to do. And you ever taken a I kid to ring never... shopping and told them to not tell anybody? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I would, Stuff I would like never let my kids spend the night at someone with the vibe of Michael Jackson. You ever been a confirmed yeah. bachelor traveling overseas, holding hands with a little kid when the, in front of a very naive paparazzi in public? It's incredible how much damning video. Anyway, anyway, 302010, 1993. Mm -hmm. I don't want to talk about any but one of these movies at all, but we must. It is our duty. It, it, uh, Fugitive is still number one at the box office, which I think <laughs> I'm shocked to officially confirm it has spent more time at the top of the uh, box office than Jurassic Park. Although Jurassic Park pulled a major haul in its weeks 
at the top, uh, more so than but, septem- again, early September. Jurassic Park's going to play in the dollar theaters till the end of the year. Yeah. Not really so the fugitive. Yes. But Jurassic Park was going up a bunch of heavy hitters. And Fugitive is going up against the movies we're about to talk about. It's true. And we have one of those Army of Darkness scenarios where I see a trailer for a thing. like, that looks fucking stupid. And I wouldn't see that if you paid me. And it's one of my favorites. I ignored it. Maybe you'll discover it this episode. First up, though, we have... uh, Why, Diana? Zim... Big... Big... (laughs) You want to help? Big news... Zbigniew new Zamachowski. Zbigniew Zamachowski. See, when I hear it, I can say it. Julie Delphi, that one I know. Juliette Binoche. Three Colors. Three Colors is out somewhere in France, I'm guessing. Three Colors, bleh. This is the beginning blue. of oh, the Three blue. Colors trilogy. Right. Um, yeah, the Three Colors trilogy, which is a co-production of, like, every TV show in Europe. Mm. <laughs> All the TV channels, like, got together and decided, hey, Krzysztof Kieslowski, one of the great unsung Polish filmmakers, would you like to make a trilogy of films based on the French flag wow. and the spirit that and the spirit that it you know the the motto of France you know uh, liberté égalité fraternité you know liberty equality and brotherhood and he's like yeah I made ten movies about the ten commandments I can do three come on man Let's laughing all the way to the bank harder. knowing all of his movies are about France. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, this is uh the first one, Bleu, which is liberty, which and he always takes something he makes it pretty interesting where the liberty here is her whole family Julia Pinocchio's family just died in a car accident. Mm. So now she's free from having a family, but she's also coping with the legacy of her relationship and looking back on it and what kind of guy was her husband and how is she coping with this newfound rootlessness and you know, it goes in very French directions. Says, is she going to have a mistress? Of course she has a mistress. Oh. This is France. Mm. We have liberté. <laughs> Motherfuckers. And um, these are fucking amazing, and everyone should watch all three of them. Yeah, they've been on my list for a long, long time. They're, they're you know, they sound like they're going to be artsy-fartsy. They're all really easy watches. Mm. Really so They were on so. Criterion Collection last I checked, which was months ago, but I know they hop in and out of there they should all be there for mm-hmm. things that have reputations as being you know so goddamn french you just can't stand it even though it's made by polish people they, they are just yeah they're just solid movies they're interesting they're, they're, they move fast they're fun to watch this this yeah. this I'm happy to talk about the three colors i, I wish movie hmm. which like does not exist but has like the best cast of all it time. has the best cast because it is a follow-up and maybe this is my warped understanding because my dad loved stand and deliver it is a hmm. uh, Ramon Menendez's follow-up to Stand and Deliver, which my dad watched all the time. He loved it. Great movie. Yeah, so like that's kind of an out-of-nowhere movie by a young director. So look at this cast. Philip Seymour Hoffman, Michael Rappaport, James Gandolfini, uh, Maury Chaikin, uh, Benicio Del Toro, Debbie Mazar, Michael Madsen, uh, and John Cusack in Money for Nothing. So two, two films this week. James Gandolfini is going to be yes, yes, in a similar and both times the critics go, "This movie is okay." There's things I like, things I don't like. This Gandolfini guy, though, yeah, where did he come from? Yeah, money for nothing. All of these are all up and comers: Madsen, Del Toro, Rappaport, Seymour Hoffman. (laughs) These are all like, where the hell did you find this guy? No one knows. I've sometimes wondered if I ever got a time machine, go back in the past, and make a movie with. All unknowns who are going to be huge stars one day. How well would that movie turn out? And 
Now I have my answer because apparently someone already did it. <laughs> yeah. So this is, we always say you should remake bad movies instead of good movies. This sounds like ripe for a remake because it's based on a true story of true story. Uh, a, an unemployed longshoreman who's walking along one day and finds a duffel bag with a million dollars in it that fell off of an armored car. And it's just about him trying to figure out how do I get away with keeping this money? But he's really stupid and he doesn't know anything. Like he ends up like getting the mob, trying to get the mob to launder it. And of course, like now they're just going to try to take his money. And I love that based on the real story, he obviously ends up, he ends up arrested. He ends up with some serious emotional problems because he's also a drug addict. And I love that he sued the armored car company for the emotional distress caused by him finding their money. <laughs> now that was dismissed and that's not in the movie but there's Should've a movie been. right there should have been that's amazing this will be a theme for this segment but me and my friend glenn have had a conversation on this you know what if you found all that money how could you keep it okay mm. short-term airbnb here's the thing Ooh. the return on renting out your airbnb on a short-term basis is very high however you got to clean it and that mm. takes either your time or you got to pay someone, and that eats up most of your profit if you pay someone. If you have a ton of just money that you found, you rent out a place short time on Airbnb, pay someone off the books to clean it, booyah, booyah, and then booyah. if the IRS ever asks, just you were always the one cleaning it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Tips from JR. I could use more of these. <laughs> now someone tell me how to find a $1.2 million sitting on the ground. Uh, that would be yeah, a big so, boon right now. So it's a bummer that i mean the reviews on this were not great mostly pointing at like this should be a fun black comedy but like everyone's too stupid to make it funny like un uneven black comedies is kind of a theme this week do, and do you think michael rapaport and james Gandolfini were crying all the way to the bank because they had two movies out this week <laughs> uh, well they were small roles they were, i think they were just like yeah. happy to be like hey i'm, I'm gonna take off it's pretty soon i'll be cast in a tv show that will change the face of uh serial storytelling forever and one of the That's one exactly of, what they said one of the me. movies has so many people in it <laughs> one of the people you can barely see in the movie is in the next one uh terrence stamp val kilmer kim basinger and the real mccoy not to be confused with the wonderful electronic band uh, this movie like doesn't exist yeah I remember it came out and it failed. Um, it's a bomb and that sucks. It's been a bad couple of weeks for Kim Basinger after, you know, losing the boxing hole on a lawsuit. But she gets out of prison. She's a bank. She's a cat burglar or bank heist person. And there's bank heist days and no one liked it. And it's sad. It's I would have liked Kim Basinger action star more. Yeah, totally. Like the, the cover is amazing. <laughs> Just in her entrapment yeah. salt photo uh, is fantastic. But it's Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's directed by Russell Mulcahy, who mostly did music videos, but I think also did Highlander. Mm. And it's like, oh, well, why does these are all things I like? And it, yeah. is, is there a particular order we're going in here, Di? I, I, well, I'll stick to it if you, but I just figured save the big one for last, unless you did the yeah. last one do better. I, I put things in a box office order for the week. Okay, right. So That's it's kind incredible. of surprising that the, the next movie, which is the bigger movie that we're going to talk about. I thought it looked dumb. Is, its marketing was terrible. It lost money. Yeah. It wasn't a hit. It was like, but the fact that it's number two of the new releases of the box office kind of surprised me. But I, I thought this movie was way more popular, but it's because it was a cult hit that everyone I knew watched on VHS a thousand times. And and it's one that um, the business had heard about because the cast that's in this 
goes well above and beyond the average Tony Scott cast, which is usually pretty small. Just that we have listed James Gandolfini, Bronson Pinchot, Christopher Walken, uh, Brad Pitt, Gary Oldman, Val Kilmer, Dennis, Dennis Hopper, Patricia Arquette, Christian Slater. You got Chris Penn and Tom Sizemore in here as well for no reason. Um, uh, this Those is, aren't the same guy. Which one? <laughs> no, one dies. It's one of my, I don't know why I like to say it when I shoot people in arcade games. This is for Cody. But here we go. <laughs> True romance. Clarence and Alabama are chasing the American dream. The only problem is... Half of America is chasing them. From the director of Top Gun and Beverly Hills Cop 2 comes a Bonnie and Clyde for the 90s. Christian Slater, Patricia Arquette, True Romance, Rated R. Oh, you, Sam Jackson is in this. You couldn't even take out Beverly Hills Cop 2 and be like, from the writer of that movie that came out last year, Reservoir Dogs, that everybody liked. Tarantino's Mm-mm. no one goes see a movie for a writer when was the last time you heard a movie advertised written by I didn't go see the movie for the writer I went and saw I, I picked up this movie I thought was looked dumb as fuck because of the writer I didn't find out till post Pulp Fiction that Tarantino had another Tarantino e movie out, out there and unlike we keep teasing natural born killers but like unlike that movie it's a little it it's totally Tony Scott but it is yeah. clearly a Tarantino <laughs> script. And and well yes, changed. Like the ending is not a Tarantino ending. The ending I guarantee you that yeah. Tarantino wrote was not this happy one all our main protagonist survives because it was the main so character close. gets shot in the face. <laughs> <laughs> In the face and like, lives and lives. Like, and uh, he's fine. Yeah. He's fine. He's got sunglasses. He can cover it. Oh, eye damage. That's another theme. This another week. theme People this week. Jesus. Eye damage. Yeah. So this is a script that he wa- Tarantino wanted to direct us and ended up selling it basically to f- help fund Reservoir Dogs, mm-hmm. which sure. is a smart a smart move because I think that's if a fair he, trade. I I think if he directed this one, people would be more making jerk off hand motions a bit because this is clearly like self-insertion fanfic <laughs> if you don't think the clinton that kristen slater is playing quentin tarantino you are insane. oh my god can you imagine if you would have played the main character there's a slight possibility a very real possibility that would have happened Oof. yeah it yeah. just it, it really is like this is my dream this is what i want to have happen i want to be so cool that a sex worker falls in love with me who's named alabama i'm gonna he reuses names so fucking much and he's like oh no they're related no you just like that name who loves Sonny chiba movies cool and but it, it has all those right. earmarks that and wouldn't i'm so great she'll fall in love with me and then everything will be great and we'll have this cool adventure where i'm always the coolest guy in town and even elvis thinks i'm cool <laughs> <laughs> Elvis played by a nigh-invisible Val Kilmer. Yep. Yeah. There were a couple of spots where I was just going, come on, because Christian Slater's character is so dumb, okay? His girlfriend, uh, the ex-sex worker now, is safe with him. And for no reason at all, he decides he's going to go intimidate her pimp at her pimp's location while her, her pimp is surrounded by his flunkies. And there was no reason to do that. And once he goes in, he hands him an envelope saying, I'm paying you off. Never touch her again. I was like, "Okay, I don't know where he got the money, but maybe this. And then the pimp opens up the envelope 
and it's nothing. And Christian Slater is just like, that's right. What? I'm so much of a badass that I'm telling you, you get nothing for her. And then he gets his ass kicked, which is how it should have gone. But then because he's the coolest guy ever, he manages to kill the pimp and steal accidentally million dollars worth of Coke. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. And that sets off the whole adventure. What do you do with a million dollars of Coke? And this is another conversation I had with my friend Glenn. Would you rather run across a million dollars worth of Coke or $2,000 cash? A million dollars worth of Coke. <laughs> no, I'll take the cash. <laughs> yeah. I'm with I'll you, Diana. Yeah. I would yeah. 100% nope. I have no idea what to do with a million dollars of Coke. Uh, I think it ruins lives. I don't really want to deal with well, it. And even not if, I if you did, have a million dollars worth up. of it, like, uh, yeah, there'd never be a late podcast here again. It, <laughs> it, yeah, but I unload that shit, and I I love the idea of how, I don't how, know how I don't know who to unload. None that. of my friends use Coke. I don't ha- have any connection. But that's why I admire Not the well. tenacity of old Clarence here because he doesn't know anybody either and he talks to a guy in the movie business who knows another guy in the movie business who knows a really important guy in the movie business. So much so that he he would like to you can save me $800,000 on my coke bill and I could furnish this forever. <laughs> I could <laughs> throw it out like a foam party. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. And like I I I don't know I never, I never think about the plausibility of this because more than anything, this seems like nine Tarantino scripts jammed together, and it, it's just what is your favorite moment in it, whenever I yeah. see this movie? Like, what's your favorite scene? Like, sort of the biggest waste is Brad Pitt, and he's still Which funny. See, like, I thought, I thought that's a really funny joke. But, I mean, Brad Pitt isn't the Brad Pitt we know, but finding out that's the inspiration for Pineapple Express. It's like, yeah. what if, what if we had a crime movie starring? that wastoid yes <laughs> yes exactly it, it something great became of it the one of the best roles of bronson pin show ever uh oh he's great in this yeah and, and yeah. uh this the, the but I, it boils down i think tarantino himself said it uh in my sicilian blood loves it very much the scene between dennis hopper and christopher walken who are like all in this movie for like a, <laughs> a like a, a couple Ooh. of minutes Ooh. he said that's his favorite scene and that is a fucking awesome scene a truly awesome scene yeah. yeah, it was. Yeah, we we do have the the beginning of the discussion of the use of the n word, right? And Tarantino's the love of it because we we have a lot of n word in that scene, and I think it works because it's about someone trying to piss someone else off. It's brilliant, but acting calm Steve, about it. It's it's a guy who was actively trying to get shot in that scene. Yes, he's actively trying to get out of being tortured and giving up his son by pissing off the lead mafioso in the in the most egregious way he can think of. That's why it's so racist. That's why it cuts so hard. And I'm sure, if anything, Tony Scott probably softened it a little bit. But yeah, hilarious. The moops. Yeah, I mean, we the also have Gary Oldman's character. Drexel, baby. <laughs> Drexel Spivey. Again, Spivey, a name that he likes to reuse, oh. who is, I think he's kind of hilarious. I think it's awesome. <laughs> Because he is such a bizarre parody Mm -hmm. of of what you would think a black drug dealer is, except he's Gary Oldman. Yeah, I mean, I wish Tony Tony Scott was still around to talk about like how all this happened and 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 just like what did you think this was going to be? Was everybody had everybody seen Reservoir Dogs already? And and like I I want I want a slice of this. It was a small hit. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, he might have seen it by now, but yeah, the idea that every character is so ridiculously over the top and cartoonish. Mm-hmm. I can't prove this. Thing. 
I can't prove this, but I think James Franco took his character from Spring Breakers based <laughs> upon Gary Oldman's character in this film. This is also yes. possible. Yes. With, with, with much love to Riff Raff, sure. And, and then yeah. the, other, the other greatest like scene that. is Patricia Arquette and James Gandolfini, like doing Ooh. just, it's, it's unbelievable how much menace that man can, and he's like half the way to Tony Soprano. Mm-hmm. And and he, it's, he's so fucking frightening. And there's a ton of other frightening people in this movie. Uh, and Gandolfini takes it. That's yeah, if you one of the see... most mm-hmm. brutal scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the most brutal fight scenes I've ever seen in my yeah. life. It is hard to watch sometimes. But it was well done, I think, because Tarantino yeah. does not like submissive women. Tarantino likes strong women. And when she's getting beat up in there... She's not the helpless damsel in distress who's just waiting for her man to save her. She is having agency and trying to manage that beating as well as she can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You look ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Stab. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's one of these. I mean, it's also because I'm, I'm such a Gen Xer that like, well, I thought this movie was a huge hit because everyone I knew was completely in love mm-hmm. with it. <laughs> no. 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 I lost money. Didn't even make his money back. Um, It's kind of crazy because it is. It, I, it's a, a really good marriage of somewhat Tony Scott with his over the top excess, but him reining it in and just using it just the right way, not really going crazy with like like last Boy Scout. I think he goes too far. Yeah, and this is like it is a really good marriage of stuff. And also as a giant film nerd, using the music from Badlands. Mm. Thank you. I, 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 Everyone I should to, go watch Badlands. Right I have now. to wonder if that's in the script because like part of the reason I want to see it redone by Tarantino is. Ugh, Aerosmith music that never would have happened with Tarantino behind the helm. No, so that, yeah, that that sort of marimba sounding music mm-hmm. is also used in a movie called Badlands, yeah. which is also a movie about you know two people on the run. Road movie. There's murders stuff, and it's like this is a really nice marriage of ideas because it's such gentle music, mm-hmm. but fun. You like you want to you want to go driving. Ugh. So this was my first time watching this film. Oh. Good for you. Yeah. So when I was 14, my mom signed me up for a screenwriting class, which turned out to be a college level screenwriting class. So it was 14 year old JR with a bunch of 18 to 22 year old men who had all just seen Reservoir Dogs. Mm. And they Uh, wanted to make that movie. And I was just like, but I I came here to write the next Star Wars, guys. (laughs) I got. I got to tell you, having worked in screenwriting classes when I was in college, it was still the same. So yep. the, this guy same. and or girl is a hit man or woman. Okay, let's yeah. go. Yeah. Uh-huh. But uh, it kind of just. I didn't really want to see this at the time. I didn't really see Reservoir Dogs until much later, and rediscovering it thirty years after it was made. I got to say, it still works. I That's was great. not sure where this film was going. Multiple points. I was like. Well, now let's see what's happened. And that is so rare for me watching movies. You know, most times these days, it's just like, especially 30-year-old ones. I'm just like, okay, five minutes in. I know how everything's going to go. But here, it was jumping around a bunch of places. I wasn't sure where it was going to go. And when Christian Slater got shot in the eye, I was like, well, he's dead now. That's an interesting twist. And then they kind of biffed it at the end. I really think he should have died. Yeah. To me, it's just... It's it's just a series of scenes like most Tarantino movies. The ones I look forward to the most get me happy. And, and I, yeah, I, I just think there's all 
throughout our show, we're constantly like, you know who almost directed this movie? It is nice to have, we have an alternate, <laughs> like a multiverse movie in True Romance. It's what would happen if Tony Scott approached a ter- Wouldn't you die to see that if it didn't already exist? Because uh, like <laughs> Tarantino soft- softened on his reaction to this movie throughout the years as well. Likes it, <laughs> understands why they changed the ending. And I, I love, like, uh, what is it? Movie of the Decade. He Remember his weird pick for Movie of the Decade? Unstoppable from Tony Scott. Like, likes Tony oh, Scott. Yeah. Likes what he does. I think cut... There's what's that movie where he Tarantino himself unloads the Top Gun dialogue about Top Gun? Oh, I think yeah, that was in this script and moved to something else and uh, something else that he did, something much smaller. But so Destiny turns on the radio, no, it's no, way smaller random. than that. It's, that's terrible, yeah. not that one. But True Romance, uh, of the highest recommends, it is in my it is in like my top 20. It's always near my DVD player. Love True Romance, I love yeah. showing it to people for the first time. Because yeah. there's so many I, who haven't JR, seen this. Yeah, I think JR made a good point, which is like, you're so much of the time, like, I'm not sure where this is going. And then when it starts getting there, you're like, oh, yeah, okay, that follows. I couldn't guess it, but that makes a logical sense. I, sure, no, that makes sense. Also, I have a beloved memory of this. I When I first saw it, probably a year after this, when it was on uh, VHS, I was at my friend's grandma's house. Uh, for the weekend and we were watching this and there was a scene early on where they do it in a phone booth <laughs> and her grandma just sort of trundles into the room right at that moment we're like oh jesus she's gonna get mad at us for watching this looks at it and just goes well that takes young knees <laughs> and eh, miss say. those days <laughs> and then wanders off and we all went grandma! oh fantastic <laughs> grandma got up to some shit <laughs> this this did land uh gandolfini the audition for tony soprano the scene whoa yeah. and uh so it does does give us that it's and it's 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 weird to think about how almost none of these people made it into tarantino movies proper except for like brad pitt and chris penn was already did it tom sizemore gosh michael rapaport i feel like should gandalfini have played in a future oh. tarantino movie oh my god um there's not mm. a lot of heavies in i mean ving rames part yeah. <laughs> in uh pulp fiction <laughs> Uh, it would have been great, but Ving Rhames just kills you that. You just want to see him have sex. No, I do not want to see him with a ball gag, but... Uh, great you movie. Want, you want a scene where he shows up for two two scenes and he just menaces everyone? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I trust a majority of people watching the show have at least heard of this movie that's on their list. I'm saying, yes. like, just just do it. Cut the... Uh, even uh, there, there's an unrated cut that does add substantially more, but, like, the regular version is fine as well. Uh, I've seen both several times. True Romance, yep. highest recommend for me this week. And that somehow is beaten out of the box office by Stanley Tucci, Fiona Shaw, Dennis Quaid, Kathleen Turner in Undercover Blues. He faces terrorists, peril, and excitement. Next time, by American. Fortunately, he has a wife who understands his work. <gasps> Kathleen Turner, Dennis Quaid, Undercover Blues. Kill the light. Rated PG-13. Ah, Undercover Blues. No, no true romance cat crossover here, sadly. And I didn't see this no. movie. But there is a part of me that loves... I didn't know who Kathleen Turner was for a very long time. I had to bring it up the other day with someone, a friend of mine who had the Adam Sandler CD. We were at 
counselors in training cordon to four of us in a cabin and that was like our first on-demand snl you can pull it all up on youtube and hulu today but like at adam sandler's album and we would just yell a woman a woman counselor says i went to bring you guys drinks like three times and then somebody will just yell i think kathleen turner has big fucking tits because that's a line on adam sandler's album we don't know <laughs> who she is at all and i find out later she's the voice of jessica rabbit so it, i love that there's all these old kathleen turner movies i can see where she's the hottest lady in the world with jessica rabbit's voice i'll get on it uh, later you fool you've oh, been missing good? out I there's, mean, not on this, there's not no this way one this in particular, but just, but Romancing the Stone. Oh, my God. Oh, I love that movie. Oh, my God. I love that movie. Um, yeah, this one might be a bad movie that he's remaking. Mm. I did not finish it, and I am sorry, but the idea that they are, like, CIA agent super spy operatives who are taking a vacation during their maternity leave, and then they have to do spy shit, that's fun. Cool. That's a cute idea. I, I like watch this all the time on HBO. Didn't bother to rewatch it. It's time has passed. It's the type of Aww. movie that I really don't think you're going to want to watch today. It's not the Larry Miller movie you're looking for. And uh, <laughs> why don't we just move on? Because TV is the biggest yeah, it's ever but, been. Put in the oh comments or, or let us know if Undercover Blues is like a special place in your heart. Do we need to... Revisit it because, oh my God, we have so much TV we have to get. We'll transition to television with a movie, September mm -hmm. 8th through the 14th of 1993. We got the TV movie, uh, B.D. Wong, Ian McKellen, uh, Patrick Bacow, Alan Alda, and Matthew Modine, and, and the band played on. Oh my God. So, um, yeah, like one of the best TV movies ever made. Uh, much. Um, I mean, you might want to call it like a miniseries because it is like three an hour, four hours. It's long. It's it's one but of those things I, I remember when, you know, a lot of bad stuff going on in Florida. Really weird governor to give him just the faintest bit of praise in his awful behavior. But what teachers can and can't teach. And I remember there were certain subject matters that, like, teachers can't teach. And I remember I always use this example. Like, there was no real talk about the Holocaust in public school history class. But Schindler's List aired on television, so they just showed it to us. And See, that's so weird. We totally um, talked about the Holocaust. Yeah. I just I think it had been something that had kind of been dusted over a little bit because I don't remember hearing about it until Schindler's List. But I also remember being part of like my parents would sign me up for like, do you want to do this study so your kid can learn about AIDS? Like they had to like give permission to learn about mm. certain aspects of AIDS and couldn't really be taught. This and the band played on was showed in our classroom like the week after it came oh. out. Because um, well, it was that's good good for them yeah because yeah i mean this is it's a tough subject to make a movie about because it's basically a metal medical detective story yeah. of why are all these guys getting sick and mm -hmm. it's based on randy schultz's book which i read in journalism class which is even more deep in numbers and and doctors and science stuff in the weeds of like before we knew what aids was we had we understood it was a virus we had a test for it we knew how it was transmitted we had to figure those things out. Mm -hmm. And it is about American and French researchers separately trying to figure out, yeah, we have a bunch of men getting this kind of cancer that nobody gets because they don't have immune systems anymore, but they weren't ever sick. So why don't they have immune systems anymore? I don't understand. And and it's just the medical mystery while also showing the human side of things, of mm -hmm. people seeing their friends and family start getting sick and, and not knowing what is going on and is the government going to do anything about it? Guess what? No, no, it's not because fuck Reagan and, and, uh, and a and pansexual flight once, attendant. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He might have been 
<laughs> I'm even patient zero in the U.S. And, and yeah, just it's the 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 creeping terror. Like, I mean, this is a horror movie with the invisible protagonist. Yeah, it's a like, historical contagion and, movie. Yeah, it is done so so well, mm-hmm. and it has like this gigantic ridiculous cast because everyone was like could you come in for like two days yeah this is important. <laughs> just you, we just need you to be this one researcher but it'll get everyone's attention if it's someone famous i would i, I like, was oh, like oh okay. steve martin's in this sure <laughs> yeah, yeah sure uh yeah this is it's so hard to like how do you structure a story like this mm-hmm. <laughs> and they do such a good job so yeah and the band played on is and yeah it does take us back to the bad old days of just, yeah, you, you get AIDS and you die. And that's a death sentence. And at the end, they have like a montage of all these people who, you know, were HIV positive. How many you think are alive uh, into the 2020s? Oh, boy. Um, I don't know. How many people 1%? depicted in this movie are in, alive in the 2020s? <laughs> yeah. Of the people they show uh, who had AIDS or HIV or were HIV positive at the end of this movie, two of them. Made it to the 2020s. Larry Kramer, uh, the playwright, died uh, in 2020. But Magic Johnson is the only one still alive. Mm. It's so crazy. You know, I just always remember when that was announced, everyone was like, okay, he's going to be dead in two years, Mm -hmm. maybe five if he's lucky. Yeah, it is amazing how far we came. And uh, yeah, at the same time, like early on in COVID, uh, I was talking with my neighbor who's an older gay guy, and he got really emotional where it's like, he was kind of getting flashbacks. I think uh, he was saying like, I don't, this feeling I have is like how I used to felt feel in like the late eighties. This, this feeling of like, I don't know who's going to get sick next and are they going to die? And COVID was bringing up this like past trauma. He didn't even realize he had anymore. And we forget, we forget yeah, so fast. But you don't, you don't have, I'm, I'm also very happy to report. We mentioned a lot of HBO movie premieres that, Sometimes are owned by different. This is a full HBO production. It is still streaming on Max. Thank goodness, because that's not always yeah, the case in it these is. discussions. Um, it is so so well done. So yeah, and the band played on book and, and movie. Big recommends for me. And uh, also on HBO this week. And it's also I should say not just a relentless bummer. It's more of a thriller. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just you wallowing in sadness. Uh, and and also on HBO this week, the Larry Sanders Show, Hank's Wedding. Why not? Perhaps the first guest appearance by Adam Sandler, because I think other than a talk show or remote control, yeah, like uh, he he was not that big at this time. He no. was a very s- small player on SNL. He had a couple of characters, but he's going to play a song on the Larry Sanders show, and that's how he spread. You know, all the young teenage boys were spreading yeah. his uh, CDs and his songs. It was being written by ah, his, his... Like a virus! Written by his friend, uh, Judd Apatow. But again, I can't express that enough. When you could maybe buy two VHSs with Saturday Night Live skits, Adam Sandler had an album you could put on sketch, SNL sketches with SNL people anytime you wanted that was uncensored. For years, he owned on-demand SNL. <laughs> it's kind of brilliant if you think about it. But yes, he's, he's guesting on Larry Sanders' show. I love the way you eat gravel to help you digest. <laughs> My little chicken. Is that on the album? I think I recognize the song, My Little Chicken. Now we got to move into the holy shit. I'm going <sighs> to refrain from try to load you up with a little bit of every 
TV intro at the top because there's just not enough time to do it. Because the let's start with the kids shows that debut this week in one single week in television history. Running the Halls debuts on TNBC, the newly rebranded block of... These aren't cartoons. These are for older, more mature kids. By that, I read girls. I was in no hurry to mature. But Yeah, this was let's copy the success of Saved by the Bell as much as possible. That was it. Yeah. That was their entire model. Totally. Uh, this is a East Coast boarding school, and it runs for about three months. Yeah, and then you also have Saved by the Bell, the new class, which doesn't change up its theme song or format at all, really, and just gives a whole new cast. And Mr. Belding and Dustin Diamond, I think, are... He's, Screech is a teacher now. A Screech yeah. returns from... I mean, he graduated last year, and now he's <laughs> back. I mean, did it, we talked about it. He graduated in the summer, and now in the fall, he's a teacher. That's how it works, right? Yeah, a lot of people <laughs> but, don't find jobs that quickly. I don't know what his major was, but good on him. This show ran for longer than the original Saved by the Bell. That's unbelievable. No one cares. That's crazy. At all. The original Saved by the Bell, you'll get referenced all the time. This one, Black Void of the Internet. Never mentioned. I, I chalk up that TNBC block. I remember it being written about as a huge failure because it was like hard to go. They tried to slot in some Saturday morning cartoons, but it was kind of over across the board. Uh, by that point, a few years later. Also, Double Dragon debuts in syndication. Double Dragon based on the wonderful video game series that I always say, if you asked me at the end of the 80s to define video games, like Double Dragon would be in like the fifth slide in a presentation of Aliens, I'd give them what the whole medium was. And this is, <laughs> their their sway over the medium is kind of, this is right at the end of it. Debuts in a syndicated cartoon that is dumb and I don't care about Less dumb, but I also don't care about it. Uh, SWAT Cats, the radical squatcher in debuts on Cartoon Network. <laughs> this is crap. Uh, uh, wait, so, let me guess. This is like a Ninja Turtles thing. No. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, they're cats and they're police officers. They are. They and... are. But it's like <laughs> I, when we talk about the death of Saturday morning cartoons, and I have plenty of laser times where I do, part of they turned over that block to Mattel and Hasbro. Like, just promote your toy lines. Do whatever. Who gives a shit? It's cheaper than us producing by ourselves. And this wasn't exactly that. This was trying to produce an action-oriented cartoon that wasn't totally based on a toy line for, for uh, I think it was on... TNT and TBS as well at some who knows but it was a Turner and funded that's thing. what doomed it because mm. this had one of the worst timings of any cartoon show so it was set up to be a big huge new IP putting out all the stops much higher budget than you know your Ninja Turtles cartoons and like a few weeks before it premiered Ted Turner gives this big speech on how cartoons are too violent and they have Whoops. to be good for kids and I'm not going to support anything that's not good for kids. And the producer of the show looked at each other nervously because they're doing a show about cats who have fighter pilots and airplanes and <laughs> mighty bold of a guy who guns. has been like firing three stooges into my eyes for like the last 10 years, Ted Turner. <laughs> But uh, he is, uh, I guess, putting his money where his mouth is because the big one is Captain Planet. Is it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is the new adventures new of Captain adventures. Planet. It, it was so successful that they went, we're going to do it again. And uh, I got a lot of issues with this show. Okay? It sucks. It's the it's, worst. It's the worst. But I also think it's just a plain bad idea. And it's actively harmful for environmentalism. I really do. <laughs> Because yeah. the environmental message, okay, we should take care of the environment. 
Absolutely. All of your environmental enemies are human pigs and they're evil garbage people who you should only punch in the face. That's it. That's the message of this TV show. And (laughs) if you're ever in the real world, you kind of got to work with the people who you're going to try to change the environment with. We all use fossil fuels. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you just portray the fossil fuel industry as inhuman monsters, it's like, okay, well, they're all garbage people so obviously i'm never gonna work out a deal with such people and you're not you're not no, looking at the, the not... you're not looking at the lobbyists lowering regula- regulations to the point where it's just cost of doing business for these po- these mainstream these corporate yeah. polluters i understand it's hard to explain to kids like some people put profits over people but people don't you know pollute because they're bad guys yes. they do it for money and and, and the uh, antiquated notion that like Hey, kid, do your part. It'll fix things. It will not. It will not fix things. You could recycle and drive an electric car your whole life, and you will still not undo the polluters of like the major, major corporate global polluters that just will will not. It's not something kids can fight. China has more than 50% of the CO2 in the world produced in its borders, okay? An American kid is not going to nudge that needle a tiny bit, no matter what slogans they scream i mean there's yeah. there's more coal plants in china being built today mm-hmm. than exist in the entire united states Jeez. the ones currently under construction more than yeah. the u.s yeah i mean it, i i appreciate the the idea like yes we should yeah, it's a edu- good idea we, we should edu- i i'm always suspicious of something that wants to raise awareness but yeah the idea that you should educate kids it's like yeah the planet is uh, not full of limitless resources and we should try to you know be mindful and not be wasteful and do good things but me recycling my entire life counterbalances one private jet flight so yeah yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. so what and how many of those is ted turner take captain planet should have said in 2024 don't vote for anybody who says climate change is a hoax the power <laughs> is yours <laughs> that's it that's the best you can do and it's yeah. kind of easy, considering the Republican debates just happened. Uh, they're still they're still floating that out there. Nextly, Legends of the Hidden Temple, a, a show I feel like I was right on the verge of being too old for. I'm always a big fan of Nickelodeon game shows, and I always sour when they get boring. Legends of the Hidden Temple got a lot less boring. It was themed super well. Fantastic stage. Olmac is a genius invention, a giant talking robot that gives quiz- kids questions and orders. Obstacle courses in a fantastic final maze. Really cool. Like, it, it doesn't have that whole frustration of Nick Arcade where, like, you're teaching a kid to play themselves in a motion-censored video game they've never tried before. Or some poor kid from Compton is in Nickelodeon Guts and never used a kayak before. Like it was all understandable, <laughs> big obstacles that like any kid, like, God, oh, that looks fun. I was going to say, Hey, you remember the end of Indiana Jones and last crusade? What if we put yeah. children through that? Let's do that. <laughs> Here's the instructions. Of despair. Race into the laser light room. Unleash the power of the special white laser. And you could choose to go up to Medusa's lair or into the jester's court. Turn the wheel to lift the stone slab, then race into the throne room. 
sit on the throne of the Pretender, and you could choose to go up into the room of Fallen Columns. They're blending some of them together, and if you'd seen the show, you'd know how to do it, but the way these things are filmed, the first, like, 50 episodes hadn't been seen by anybody yet, and it was difficult to know what to do. And it was hard to win. It was. I, I always wanted to go on these, and that didn't change when I became an adult. I'd still probably <laughs> go on Takashi's Castle today if I oh. could. Hey, they just rebooted it. It's on Amazon. And uh, also in mild education. Uh, it's totally educational. Bill Nye the Science oh, Guy. Well, this Yay! is probably the, this is the best educational TV show of the 1990s. I'm I, throwing I'm, that gauntlet down. Even when I was done yeah. with watching PBS and more into like Kids in the Hall, this was still funny. This had this had some yeah. really funny moments. Well, yeah, because Bill Nye, he's a science guy. He's not a scientist. He's a comedian. He's a comedian <laughs> yeah. with a with and, some yeah. scientific education in his background. Yeah, no, he, he has he has a background in that. But you know, like I recognize him as oh wow, it's it's Speedwalker from Almost Live, which is a sketch show out of Seattle that used to run on Comedy Central. Oh, I never. And saw he's it. just a cast member. No, oh, it's oh. pretty fun. I know, I know, yeah. I know. I've, I've watched here. I watched it all the time. Yeah, I never, yeah. I never saw but, it. Yeah, Speed Speedwalker is, yes, he is a superhero that uh, only walks heel toe, as regulated by the Speedwalking Association. So it's just him slowly but very pointedly walking towards the evildoers. It's it's really really funny. But I guess they almost live did an actual live show where some sort of science thing came up and, and he's, Bill Nye started talking about it. And one of his coworkers literally said, what are you, Bill Nye the science guy? Hey. And they thought, you know what? That would be fun. That sounds like a good show. We don't have Mr. Rogers anymore. What if we had a Mr. Rogers for science? It's true. And I, I forget Brilliant. exactly what the trajectory was because I thought it was on PBS for a while and then Disney ended up buying it somehow. Mm-hmm. And it was on the air for a long time, and, and including reruns. Because like I, I always mention this... My favorite thing, I think you, you had Don't Go Chasing Lava Flows, the TLC cover. The fucking, <laughs> the fucking Morrissey cover about inertia. The fur- faster you push me, the further I'll go. And it's just this whiny little skinny goth kid in black in like a Power Wheels being pushed down a hill. It's just, it's still hysterical to me. Yeah. I know. There's we can so put many... the lava flow if you want. Yeah, there's so many jokes that's like kids aren't going to get that, but they're, the, the parents walking through the room are going to crack they're up. They're going to make them like, watch it tomorrow. That's great. Lonely mountain sticking out of the ground, slewing Asher rocks All right, we trust the chorus there. Don't go chasing lava flows. Fucking hysterical. Still, it still sort of works, and I'm happy with Bill Nye's status in popular culture today. He's one of the people. You... Well, let's listen to him. What he says today. Yeah. The planet's on fucking fire. There are a lot of things we could do to put it out. Are any of them free? No, of course not. Nothing's free, you idiots. Grow the fuck up. You're not children anymore. I didn't mind explaining photosynthesis to you when you were 12, but you're adults now, and this is an actual crisis. Got it? Safety glasses off, motherfuckers. <laughs> I think that's from John Oliver, but uh, uh, it, it, I could. It, it, that's a great cap to the Captain Planet conversation. Just like, uh, yeah, times... Uh, 
sending this our, is, our kids this out is how armed you with recycling bins. Teach kids. Yeah, like kids armed with recycling bins. I, I, I did that. I, I, I went to, I would go with my grandparents and collect cans and turn them in for recycling plants for money. And like, I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, made some money. So I'm not complaining. Anyway, the, the, the absolute biggest yeah. thing in the, in, I don't know, one of my favorite things in the history of anything this week debuts on the Fox Network. Animaniacs. Animaniacs. Just fucking unbridled Warnerism. And by that I mean uh, that that Steven Spielberg, I'm not going to go all the way back to that, but through Roger Rabbit, it was basically him Tarantinoing the golden age of 1940s animation, reinstilling it in the hearts of all of us. And all this stuff got greenlit in the, in the wake of that. Tiny Toons, I feel like, was just one of those things that Warner Brothers would have accepted at the time. Here's a reboot of the Looney Tunes characters. The Looney Tunes characters will be there. It's a young show for young people. They'll go on young adventures. And Animaniacs was just like, this is just cartoon shorts. Old style, 90-piece orchestra, Warner Brothers cartoon shorts. Pie in the face, antagonist. Nobody's going to have any real teenage problems. And there, there were more special episodes of Animaniacs than, the other, than others, but like... God damn, does it hold up really well? Like as a result yeah. of that, oh, just like this so good. That, that it's a sketch show. Yeah, you know, there's just there's a variety of skits. There isn't an there may or may not be an overlapping story. The story it, it is going to be nonstop wackiness. That mm-hmm. that is the premise. Is any chance for cartoon anarchy to break out? It will, and it's so good. Mm-hmm. This is an animation show made by animators for other animators. They had a much larger budget than I think any other TV cartoon show at the time. And they were willing to just experiment and try new things because it's a variety show. And if this sketch uh, doesn't really appeal to anyone, well, there's going to be another one in five minutes. Mm -hmm. And you can listen to so many interviews from these animators at the time. Like there was one guy who got it as his first animation job and he worked there for a number of years. And he just thought, well, this is what being an animator is like. I get to experiment and try a lot of different things. And there's a lot of artistic freedom. And then he got a real job and he was like, Oh, I was working in a fantasy world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You were working in that post Ren and Stimpy Roger Rabbit world where there was, where everybody wanted to create their own, Bugs Bunny thing that was going to live in syndication for the next several centuries. <laughs> and yeah. Animaniacs never hey. should have ended, IMO, but it, it's, it yeah. lived on longer because it could. That's how it was, it was built to live forever. Yeah, well, it's just... Uh, it, it just it, it really uh, some of it it just sort of blows my mind that this existed and that it existed in 1993. Like, yeah, there's some bits that are sort of more traditional whatever, you know, or they're a little more heartfelt. Or, But basically, it's... What if we had Monty Python's Flying Circus, but it was animated like it's the 40s and none of the jokes are going to make any sense to children, but they'll like it anyway. Like, good feathers. Why does that exist? It's it's one premise. They they stretched, I'd say, as far as they could. I think uh, JR included a, a clip of, I think, the most sneaky clip. The dirtiest kid's joke of all time. So what you don't see is Dot is holding up the artist or Prince, as you may know him, Prince, who, Prince. Number one sister, dust for Prince. I found Prince. 
no, no, no. Fingerprints. I don't think so. Throws him out a window. Uh, a nice fingering joke for kids at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> there is a whole Slappy Squirrel bit where they do who's on first. It's amazing. The at bands? Woodstock? Yeah. yeah. Who is the band on stage? Yes. From the 60s and 70s. Do you see the band on stage? No. It's... The band's not here. Well, is there a band on stage? Yes. yes. <laughs> What's was... their name? Who? <laughs> <laughs> it's and like they literally have so an applause brilliant. break after what the, it. What and little children are like, okay. I, I believe that's part of anime. It works even if you don't know anything about Woodstock or anything about those bands' names. Yeah. And if you do know, it's a work of incredible yeah. genius because you're just like, <laughs> because this is real. How did you? Research it pre-internet and come up with to, all these jokes. Not to over-examine Abbott and Costello, they made up phony fucking player names in order to make yeah. the joke, and Animaniacs didn't. They used real things. Okay. And and uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> and 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 Oop. the other the uh, the other I think their claim to disfame that a terrible segue, but it was so popular it was. It, it transcended kids and was bringing in too many adults for like what was a pre-Cartoon Network era. You're taking all our kids' advertisements. There's too many adults watching this shit. And and I think that's why Hulu marketed the, the reboot the way they did, and which was also really good. And, and pr- proof to what I was saying that it, it never should have been taken off the air. But Animaniacs uh, brought us Pinky in the Brain as well, which like kind yeah, of... Yeah, because it's again. their first appearance. Yeah. The most they they started out. They're in the first episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my Correct. god. The the From most day one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know what kids love? Kids love Orson Welles. Kids really love Orson do. Welles so much. <laughs> yes. And you know what they really love? They love making fun of a botched recording session that pre-internet has only been circulated on seventh generation re-recording mixtapes that people just pass around it's that's what they love more than anything else as you can hear in this clip no known way of saying an english sentence in which you begin a sentence within and emphasize it get me a jury and show me how you can say in july and i'll make cheese for you (laughs) still referencing i'll go down on you Uh, it's still amazing it's amazing these jokes are going out across the airwaves to children and i i love it and i I remember i was like 14 and i my parents wouldn't let me babysit my younger sister would so call my friend's older sister who was like 18 months older than me i'd gone through puberty and i remember i got home and i put on animaniacs i'm just laughing and she's like is this really what you do at the end of every day and like (laughs) great now i'm ashamed but i mean (laughs) now i'm ashamed but animaniacs was the shit and it like it compelled me even in my adulthood I miss it to this day, and it should still be uh, airing. I just, think we should big mm. big shout out to the creator Tom Ruger, I who also did Tiny Toon Adventures. Mm-hmm. But I didn't realize that he got hired off of Pup Named Scooby Doo, which mm-hmm. is a show so much better than it had any right to be. And old- I guess I'll just give all the credit for <laughs> to him. Like you know how to do this, you have figured this out. God bless you, guys. We are nowhere near done with the television. Sorry, just one last thing. I promise. This show had some of the most amazing songs of all time. Yes. And when the internet first started Uh. taking off, I downloaded some of those songs. And to this day, I can still name all the countries in the world. Now, listeners, you cannot see it. Diana and Chris, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
United States, Canada, Mexico, Panama, Haiti, Jamaica, Peru, Republic of Dominican, Cuba, Caribbean, Greenland, El Salvador, to do Puerto Rico, Colombia, Venezuela, Honduras, Guiana, and still Guatemala, Bolivia, then Argentina, Ecuador, Chile, Brazil, Costa Rica, Belize, Nicaragua, Bermuda, Tobago, San Juan, Paraguay, Uruguay, French Republic, and Guam, Norway, Sweden, and Iceland, Finland, and Germany. No, we believe you. Okay. All right. His eyes were covered. His eyes were covered. Yes. We could, yes. Really eating the mic there. Uh, Animaniacs. Yeah. I, I think all of us can say like it was way better than we would, would deserved, and I like not having to talk about it like it was a failure. Like everybody loved this. Everybody who saw Animaniacs loved it. Yeah, because you know what kids really love: Heart of Darkness parodies based on the day <laughs> the clown cried. I <laughs> lost my yeah. mind when that episode aired. I was like pacing around the house, going, "How." How is this on television? The, the mileage they, they got at their Jerry Lewis character alone meant like we don't have yeah. much of an interest in watching. But like neither did the Warner Brothers animators of the 1940s. Like we're here to entertain as many people as quickly as possible. Yep. The amount of contract disputes in Animaniacs is also insane. There is so much like high Hollywood jokes in this. And this is when I've started to start getting cynical about Hollywood because everything I had seen uh, about making of movies was produced by a marketing executive who thought, well, we'll spend $100,000 on this making of tape and that'll increase revenue 2%. This is just like dunking on Hollywood left and right. Mm -hmm. And so genius. Oh, final thing. I promise. I promise. (laughs) The Warner Brothers. Okay. And their little sister, Dot. Dot. Didn't get it for years. Dot is the literal dot at the end of Warner Bros. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't get it for That's years. That's brilliant. It is brilliant. Didn't get it forever. It is brilliant. Everything oh, about it rules. God. Moving on to the sitcoms that debut this week. I remember the marketing for this better than I remember the other shows. No, well, other than one. The marketing for this was a very large black lady talking about how she's not going to take no shit like straight to camera and i hadn't seen anything marketed like that before thea 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 debuts and the the theme song will hopefully tell you what's going on i've been working hard two jobs every day giving time to my children showing them the way Uh, like a black Roseanne, yeah. basically. Right. And I, I, it didn't last as long as the next show, and because I, I, some, I, either liked it or they kept pairing it with things. I like Phenom debuted on ABC about a up and coming tennis pro girl, the girl who who says to uh, Kevin McAllister, the French are with, <laughs> you're what the French call les incompetents. That's the girl. She's <laughs> this tennis star. Her father's left, hilariously left her mother to go pursue younger women. And she's got to raise kids alone with uh, friends. But like a tennis, a, an up and coming worldwide tennis star trying to maintain the balance of being on the cusp of greatness and a kid. And I just remember I, I watched a lot of this where, whenever it aired. Bakersfield PD, yeah. I don't. Hmm. But you you want to know why? Gracie? Because it was between Full House and Roseanne. It, for, That's why you know where it is. I, I <laughs> That's kind why of remember it being inescapable. It's one of them. And then when I looked at it today, I'm like, oh, it was a James L. Brooks thing. So it probably managed to stay on the air longer than the ratings would have 
normally allowed. And uh, and then Bakersfield PD debuts on Fox. I remember the logo because Fox pushed the shit out of it, but I don't remember any of the content of the show. Now that I know what Bakersfield is, ha 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 ha. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah this is a less traditional sitcom starring Giancarlo Esposito as a cop who ends up in Bakersfield. It's a big city cop who ends up in goddamn Bakersfield. And um, I literally only know of it because for a brief time I had the cable channel trio and they would run brilliant, but canceled as a series of just like, yeah, here's something that made six episodes and it just never caught on, but it was a good idea. You should check it out. And uh, I still never watched it, but you know, yeah. DC police detective Giancarlo Esposito as, um, you know, he's half black and half Italian and now he's taking shit from everybody because he's in a dinky town. And that, Talk shows that debut this week. Ricky Lake debuts in syndication. Woof. And I, I, maybe Diana and JR have a better frame of reference because it felt like I, I'm st- I'll watch Talk Soup a year later. But a thousand of these shows debuted. What made Ricky Lake better than the rest of them? Because it went for a while, like 10 seasons. Uh, I think any talk show is all about the host. And if you can get a good vibe and rhythm when you're dealing with your guest and getting them to talk in ways that are interesting that's what makes the show that's I, it to to the credit of one Ricky, woman Ricky Lake or one what, man show what you're saying i was trying to get a clip of her saying hi i'm ricky lake and tonight she never does an intro like that it's always more interesting with a little more improv and a joke because uh i mean i only knew her from uh that john waters movie at this point who the fuck <laughs> is ricky lake yep yeah, I don't know. She, I, I think part of it, she's kind of tapped into a younger vibe. It mm-hmm. was the kind of thing that like high school and college students would mm-hmm. watch during the day, even if you had to tape it. Then you, you know, watch it when you get home. I mean, Excellent it's just point. as it's just as lazy as every other talk show was at the time when it got. No, but she, you're you know, right. She was markedly. They were all older than me at the time, but she is noticeably younger than any of her contemporaries. Yeah. And, yeah, okay. I, I think that's uh, yeah, it's got to be a huge deal. It's not it's not an old person like wagging a finger talking down to you. There was like the episodes yeah. like how to like how to do a makeover to get my man back. Ha ha! No no finger wagging. Yeah, and you're claiming nine or nine eleven is the reason she ended the show. <laughs> Jr. I'm, I'm not claiming it. Right. She's claiming it. That's, I got to hear it now. I stopped it. I mean, I, I finished my contract. I can't say I quit. But after 9-11, which I witnessed firsthand living downtown in Manhattan and having to go back to work two days after I watched a plane hit the building firsthand, mm. I had to go back. My hoochie mama thinks yeah. I'm a baby daddy. And I was like, this is not what I want right. my legacy to right. be. And I love my show. Like, yeah. let me just say, I am so proud. Thank, and great. Thank God she just quit and didn't join MTV's Kennedy on the Fox Business Channel or something like that. Good. Went but, two and a half years later. Just then, saying, Ricky. And then I don't even know how to introduce the next thing because we've talked so much leading up to it. It is the debut of Conan O'Brien. Late Night with Conan O'Brien on NBC. Everything we've said about the show and Conan at this point, none of us know. None of us know at all. No, <laughs> no he's a complete unknown. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's weird looking at his first show because he'll even joke about it who am i mm-hmm. why why would anyone be on my show in this clip we have a really great first show and uh i'm a complete unknown to everybody and these people were fantastic to come on it's like you know, come on i'm conan o'brien you better do my show john goodman is here after john goodman Randall. Oh man. <laughs> now you're a talk show when you get Tony Randall on. 
But yeah, people love to be on Conan now, but that's because we know him, you know? No one knew Conan at the time, and I'm still shocked and amazed he got the job, and that once he had the job, he did such a amazing run for almost 30 years. Trying to find his intros, going through Conan's intros, and just, it is... They they still convey what I love about the show. Dummies flying off of buildings, driving his desk. He'll just jump into the fucking <laughs> New York River for some reason. Like It's all things that other talk shows were not doing. And I think there's a silliness the world is lacking right now that, that uh, was embodied by Late Night with Conan O'Brien that I still miss. His podcast is nice. But yeah, that's yeah, great. Conan O'Brien, like a man helped define so many aspects of comedy that I love, from The Simpsons to SNL to this. Hell yeah. yeah. I was honestly the first thing that impressed me was the Max Weinberg's what Max Weinberg seven because I'm enough of a dork to know who Max Weinberg is and like really <laughs> really really you got Springsteen's drummer to lead your band what to lead your band and for a while to play a character who was an unrepentant like sex addict obsessed with himself <laughs> just to like and then he always played along it was always funny uh, good for him. Yeah. Andy Richter like, oh. is introduced to us the same night. Uh, love yeah, Andy Richter. Yeah, I, I remember a lot of people being like, uh, Conan's good, but they, they got a dump Richter. Oh, yeah. I think it took him a little while longer to find his footing. I was not watching this week. You can you can watch the whole first episode on Conan's YouTube channel. He put it up a couple uh, years ago. Like, it had not been seen officially since then. Um, he is renewed See, week I was... to week, like, at, at, mm. around this point. Yeah. Week to week. Like, no one knew if they had a job next week. That is not typically how television <laughs> works. <laughs> I always loved Andy Richter. I always thought he brought a extra thing to the table. But he, he I'll never forget him when he had Ed McMahon come on the show and sit next to Andy Richter. And he was like, uh, Andy, you know, you've got to stay at this as long as possible. You can't die too early because you're the last uh, sidekick on a talk show. And Andy's like, I'm 33. <laughs> <laughs> I just watched a... Cl- uh- montage of him insulting everybody with like his one one or two barbs per segment andy richter is the shit conan is the shit happy anniversary have you ever seen the show live oh no no no, no. i saw um the live tour after the tonight show fallout i did see that all right well everyone drink uh, well i have <laughs> and it's a different experience really? uh you know it's all the same talk show things where it's you know they stop and they get you excited beforehand conan always had an energy he had such an amazing ability to work a crowd in person like in in between segments the stuff we don't see at home no just there's an energy when you're there in person Mm -hmm. and you can feel like he's talking to you you feel a lot more intimate when you're there in person and i really think that's due to his talent as as opposed to letterman briskly walking off stage storming off stage Mm -hmm. in between every segment uh, yeah. yeah, I can see that. But happy anniversary, Conan. We're not done yet with the TV because here you go. The drama and sci-fi that debut this week. All memorable shit, like big deals, starting with Lois. Really and- big deal, one of them. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think they all are in different ways. Lois and Clark, right. The New Adventures of Superman, is the first time Superman had had a television show since... George Reeves like yeah there'd been some like there's some there's a live action dog show and variety show with DC characters but they hadn't really done Superboy Superboy live action but but that's not Superman so okay I'll count it yeah Superman since the 50s and it it was and this is 
also like it is not as much a straight up just Superman. He is amazing. Like mm-hmm. this has a lot of comedy in it. Yeah. And, and it's it's a little more tongue in cheek. It's not quite Batman sixty six tongue in cheek, but it is it, it it's I I would barely call it a drama. I mean, it's kind of a comedy. Yeah, totally. and it's adorable. Yeah, I, I would say... It was adorable. I loved the show. It was so freaking cute. It really leans hard into being a love triangle mm-hmm. with two people. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It definitely. I, I remember I it, it burned really hot in the first season. Terry Hatcher's what the most downloaded woman on AOL at some point. And, yeah, and and then like my interest faded organically, and it only went four seasons, so it didn't. It didn't. It but it made syndication because it's fucking Superman. This show was the only live action comic book on the air at the time. No. And yeah, no. what else? Swamp Thing. <laughs> that does not count. Why? I'm sorry. It doesn't count. Why? I, 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 why I say, but I, I know you're sort of right because I, I had a DC tape. I would tape this, Swamp Thing, The Flash, and the Adam West Batman as they'd air every single week and watch them back. Okay, The Flash is canceled at this time. Yeah. Swamp Thing is canceled at this time. Swamp Thing was canceled back in May of this year. Okay. So, yes, it was the only comic book TV show. And I was so desperate for any live action comic book things. I was not a DC guy. I was 100% a Marvel guy. I hardly ever watched a red DC comics, but this drew me in because it was like week after week, I'm watching Superman and I really like this guy. And the great thing about this, this is the first live action version of Superman where Superman is the secret identity. And Clark Kent is the real person at his core of this. Mm. Clark Kent is who he really is. Christopher Reeve, movies no superman is the real guy clark mm-hmm. is the disguise uh, and the 1950s version same thing so this really showed us the modern day clark and i gotta give it props for that had a number of really goofy storylines but for a 1993 show the budget was pretty darn good compared to pretty much whatever okay. else was on the time i mean they I don't mean- hold up today yeah, I mean, they actually could make him fly, mm-hmm. which, you know, the George Reeves show would, you know, have there's a stock shot of him sort of like laying down on something uh, uh, with clouds behind him. And then he would just sort of like jump into frame. I just landed. And it's like, yeah, they actually spent time to do some wire work and get Dean Kane off the ground and, and float didn't, around. And didn't stuff. pull a 10 season dick tea, Smallville. Yeah. <laughs> the one decision I've never understand is they made Perry White a huge Elvish fan. And he was like <laughs> saying, great shades of Elvish. Elvis. <laughs> and it's like, why? I mean, great Caesar's ghost. I mean, that's... Uh, but Elvis? Really? Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I just, I found the show very adorable. And that like, you, and I'm not a comic book fan, but just the idea of like, yeah, let's have, uh, you know, we'll f- focus a little bit more on the romance and the day to day shit. And then, yeah, then there's some superhero stuff, but it's not dense in mythology. It's just he's got to stop some psychos doing some psycho yeah. shit and then, okay. and they move on with their lives. And what's it like to date Superman? It's a pain. Yeah, I got you. Last, last oh, thing, because I want to give 1993 right. credit because in some ways it's I'm jealous of it. In 1993. OK, Dean Kane is part Asian. Okay, and by some standards, we have a non-white actor playing Superman. And I looked, well, 
as far as I could tell, no one in 1993 gave a shit, like at all. There was oh, look at Dean nothing. Yeah. And you, which I you guess can... he looks white enough. I yeah, I don't know. Yeah, white enough to be cast in all those Daily Wire movies. It, <laughs> moving on to the next dork dork fest, uh, Sequest DSV debuts on NBC. Also debuting super hot and then cooling very fast. Uh, I know I was there for the debut episode because they were. What were they trying to like Star Trek in the water? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's Star Trek exactly, in the water, hundred percent. Yeah. God, what a it's week each- Spielberg was having. This this oh got the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he made this and he made Animaniacs in the exact same week. Well, you know, Amblin Good. produced this, but I'm not sure well, what his yeah, involvement was. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, this is the far off year of 2018. Oh no, <laughs> where we have, uh, yeah, I, I mean, everyone likes to make the point that the oceans we have not explored them all that much because they are uh, bad and scary, and we probably shouldn't. We should leave them alone. No, uh, you know, we should not build our own submarines with fucking controllers off of our PlayStations and then um, die. Okay, that's a different thing from a serious effort. I mean, we should absolutely explore the ocean floor. There is so much amazing stuff down there. We we know more about the surface of Mars than we do about our own ocean Floor. It's true, but yeah. like if our toilet explodes, everyone dies and we pollute things we need. There's a lot more to risk yeah. being at the ocean. Yeah. Also, uh, we don't have a dolphin that can talk. It's true. And, and, and <laughs> the how talking one of those? was on all the advertisement, yeah. and the yeah. effects still hold up today. You know why? Good puppet. It's a puppet. puppet. Yeah, it's a good puppet. And, and, and also the brilliant casting of Teen Beat star Jonathan Brandis. And Roy Scheider, the star of Jaws, is your mm-hmm. Kirk in this Star Trek. What the fuck? How, how do they do that? And he leaves the show Smart eventually. Smart decision. It is. Yeah. It is. I, I just think they didn't really know what they were wanting to do with this series. And they had multiple change of directions. So it's not really one series. It's more like two and a half series combined into one. Mm-hmm. Because... Roy Schneider was very open with the press and he kept saying, I was tricked into the series and it became (laughs) his exact words, childish trash. Now, when your star is using that phrase to the press, you made some uh, interesting decisions. You made some Chevy Chase choices. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, big Hollywood producers use puppets more. Okay. The, The dolphin in this TV show looks better than 90% of CGI dolphins today. Yeah. Tell it to the Mandalorian. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Can I talk about the next show very Please. briefly? Very briefly. So, oh, no. I just, I, for a lead in, I want to explain something that, uh, you know, I'm looking down the list of what we have to talk about. And I see this. I'm like, oh, that has a really distinctive theme song. I should grab the clip. Two notes two fucking notes into this theme song michael from the other room yells that's 30 (laughs) that's how little it takes how i I don't i'm really trying to think of a more iconic theme song and i can't and i yes i can't believe the show is 30 you're all gonna feel old right now twilight zone more iconic theme song i don't know it's not as memed The X-Files makes its network television debut 30 years ago this week. I didn't hear about it. That phenomenal episode of SNL where David Duchovny 
hosts, does an X-Files parody in the opening, and then goes to Lauren like, what am I even doing here? None of these people have heard about the X-Files. It's on Fox. Uh, <laughs> it, it was kind of a critical and geek darling from the beginning, and I don't know that it would have lasted as long as it... Because NBC is the big network. They had Sequest. It had, it had probably better numbers. Not enough to keep the NBC brass entertained for nine seasons and two reboots and two movies. The X-Files. 1993 was just a different time. You had to compete with other channels trying to get your viewers at that exact specific time. And you had to have 22 episodes a year, you know? Uh, So you were fighting against people's real lives much more than you are today. And this was airing at a time that is considered the death slot. And yet it was a success. I mean, I think that's part of it. It embraced the death slot. Yeah. The people who are home and not out partying and celebrating 4th of July, they're going to love the X-Files. <laughs> and we did. And we did. We did it, nerds. <laughs> I know usually ner- shows that like nerds are the first to pick up on. Yeah, they go a season and a half. They're a mid-season replacement. And they're gone. And then we end up watching them and they're like, oh, back in the day. Yeah, Briscoe County Jr. That was pretty cute. This is a gigantic hit with everybody. Mm-hmm. And I love it. And and the like when I watched this recently on Hulu, whatever notion it was to film in widescreen film, it it's mm. totally fine. It looks totally fine from the first season on. Totally presentable. There's nothing dated about it other than their cell phones, which they're using from the very first season. Uh, it, it's great. And and it, you yeah. know it's the X Files. It's a network, and it's also a network show. So there's going to be episodes that aren't all knocked out of the park, but like. I went back and watched this from the beginning. I had a great, great fucking time. Great fucking time. Perfect for Halloween, too. Plugging the JR Speedwatch method. I downloaded the 20 best standalone Monster of the Week episodes. And I know I'm missing out on the lore, but I'm okay with that. Time is precious. I've been watching some of them with my son. They hold up. They're real good. I mean, I couldn't get him to watch Briscoe County Jr., but he's enjoying these Monster of the Week X-Files episodes. Oh, yeah. They're so, so much fun. And just, it, it, they do such a good job of balancing, yeah, Monster of the Week type stuff with, like, this lore, which would get kind of complicated. And sometimes, you know, there were plot holes. He didn't it. know where they were going. They didn't this know is idea not- what they were doing. 1993 you don't have a six-year bible plan out for your tv show you're just like all right we'll make it up as we go along yeah they just make it up as they go along and you know even episodes with that there'll there'll be some sort of smaller story arc within the episode so you can just sort of okay whatever i'm i'm a lot less interested in the lore stuff than i am with the monsters of the week Mm -hmm. and just we had uh, some some kind of attempts to like recapture the silence of the lambs because that was such a huge hit it was unexpectedly a huge hit. And I feel like this is the this is the best follow-up to Silence of the Lambs. Wow. Dana Scully is wow. very, very styled to be like Clarice yeah. Darling without the accent. It is very, very obvious when you look back on it. I'm just like, oh, yeah, FBI lady. Yeah. She's tough. She's not gonna take any shit. She's incredibly cynical, but she's gonna figure everything out. And she's next to a guy who's likable but kind of weird. He's spooky. He's spooky molder. Yeah. Well, <laughs> And that's part of the zeitgeist of the time. You know, 1993, conspiracy theories were different mm-hmm. before oh. the internet. God, I you had them. to You had to work to be a conspiracy theorist no, in I, 1993. I bought, when I was, I was trapped in a, a Palm Springs, I found like a UFO store. Like I bought some magazines in the 1970s. And those people, 
The amount of work going into keep these spirit conspiracies alive. And I, I still love Fox Mulder's depiction. Like, incredibly interested. I'm not entirely sure. Where's my sister? But he's not, like, sold on everything. He still has a tiny bit of skepticism juxtaposed with Scully's full skepticism. And the one reason the show lasted so long is because their dynamic worked so mm-hmm. well. They were two really well fleshed out characters almost from day one. Yeah. And they were designed to be platonic. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which so rare in 1993. I, I guarantee you they had network executives going, okay, so by episode two, we'll start the will they won't think thing, right? And, and right? now, now I'm I, as an adult, I'm so appreciative of that because it does it does now that I'm old, you can't have a lady friend or female colleague at work you don't eventually make out with. The prospect seems gross to ev- about everyone I know and implausible. Why would Diane and I fall in love after 10 years of doing this show? That's not likely. <laughs> Give it to the X-Files no. for like Sorry. never giving you that. No. <laughs> I mean, yeah, unreciprocated. No, people, like, it's, there's a different kind of relationship. Yeah. That, you know, is strictly professional and then it grows into, you know, they really care about each other. Yeah. But is that necessarily romantic? Why does it have to be? It's... ship you? Huh? <laughs> oh, that'd be funny. I hope no one ships me with him. I'm a happily married woman. Thank you. Yeah. I, I, I'd, I'd rather, I'd dive in a grenade for Diana before I'd put my arm around her in public. And... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's very sweet. I, I don't think she'd like that. <laughs> but the show was also great for other reasons. They had the wisdom to make these FBI agents travel all around the country. The only show kind of semi like this before this came out was Kojak, the Night Stalker. And all that mystical shit happened in one location. So at that point, you're just like, well, here we are in this one area where everything weird ever happens. But it's just like to the dad in a Christmas story. (laughs) We're federal agents. We can go all over the country. And it's just a coincidence. It always looks like that. I love the Kolchak Kolchak (laughs) connection just because like uh, I think that's a big factor here is that they hadn't bothered to make anything like the X-Files in a while. There hadn't been uh, like uh, this kind of horror anthology show, uh, horror sci-fi. It's everything. It's a a jumbled mess. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've got definitely Twin Peaks is an influence Mm -hmm. here, Mm -hmm. as is, I think, Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, Hmm. totally. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Tales from the Crypt bounced between genres all the time, as does the X-Files. Are, are we talking about a conspiracy this week? A supernatural monster? Aliens? It could be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can do all these things and could you're not. Just, could just be a crazy motherfucker. Yeah. Sometimes there's no supernatural could, at all. Could be inbreds so been, like never... with a, a dismembered mother underneath a bed. It's fucking insane. Like uh, yeah. ex, it, the show's real. Oh, a town full of vampires. Cool. Yeah, Hick vampires. Hick vampires. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. It's a good show. Do the JR method. Don't try to watch it all. If you've never watched before, just get a list of the best episodes. Watch those. You'll be fine. I promise you. And if you like them all, then you can go back and watch the whole series. And get high if your state allows it. It's I thoroughly recommend it. There's still a spook factor here that's harmless but palpable. See, I, I was worried in particular when this debuted because the whole family loved it. Uh, but my brother would have been nine. And there was an incident once after an episode of Unsolved Mysteries in which uh, he woke up screaming aliens and started slamming open doors and running around the house screaming about them. And I was like, oh, God, every goddamn night now it's going to do this. Hell yeah. Uh-huh, Jeff. Um... But no, 
no, he had matured. So, <laughs> yeah, this was a, a family favorite. It was, yep, everyone ended up watching the X-Files. Yeah, and the X-Files, I think, I think it is definitively done, at least this version of it. Everyone's yeah, kind of like, so. no more as of 2018. It's just weird we can say that about a show that went for 25 years and like, it doesn't look like there's going to be any more. Everyone's kind of expressed. Uh, what, why am I forgetting? Gillian Anderson in particular is like, I'm not mm-hmm. doing this anymore, ever. And yeah. everyone else yeah. will see. I, I, I think they should reboot it, honestly. Sure. Um, and yeah. reboot it as a period show. Hmm. What period? This period, 1993, oh, right. have it deliberately be before the period everyone had a high-definition camera in their pocket at all times. Oh, I mean, there you go. Right. You go farther back. Make it 70s. That could be fun. Cold check the night stalker is right there for you. Yep. I don't know. I just I also I just always really appreciated that Scully is the logical one. She's the one who mm-hmm. say, hey, calm down. Let's look at the actual evidence because that's kind of a reversal of gender roles. Have we mentioned the Scully effect yet? We have not. So the skull, you go ahead. Well, uh, the Scully effect is lots of little girls saw the show and thought, oh, I could be a scientist or in law enforcement mm-hmm. or I could be a forensic technician or like, yeah, the, the idea that women can do these. Jo- here's here's a depiction of a job you haven't seen a woman doing before. It's yeah. fascinating. You want to do that. Yeah. You yeah. Yeah. A lot of little girls couldn't get into the Science of the Land screenings, but uh, they could watch the <laughs> X-Files. Yeah. Exactly. Excellent point. X-Files, man. Another massive recommend this week. Fuck yeah. Uh, oh. Moving on to the games, which I wish was lighter. Holy shit, because Chuck Rock 2, Son of Chuck, is out on Genesis. I hope you like Caveman side-scrollers, because there's way too many of them. Uh, Bog-standard platformer, which goes the anti-Mario route where you can't jump on your enemies, which just always feels wrong. Gunstar Heroes for Genesis, though, one of the best games on that platform. A little treasure from treasure. Beautiful multiplayer, hyper-connect shooting game. Felt like, is this is this something a Super Nintendo can't do? This is, this is really good. Uh, another franchise that's surpri- always surprisingly great in video game form this, in the bit era, Micro Machines. Really fun. A lot of way to get a lot of creative tracks uh, and stick in as many dis- uh, distinct cars as you can. And uh, that's on Genesis, as is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Tournament Fighters, because the fighting game craze is all that. Why not pit the turtles against one another? I don't have a ton to say about that, because it is way more important to mention gaming's first important release day, solidified in stone on at least an American level, I want to say a global level. And even Diana should have some frame of reference for this because Dave Batista just referenced it in a new commercial. That's an extra that yelled on the set of this commercial that was then sampled into the theme song by the Immortals and he was never paid. He had to sue uh, <laughs> later because we uh, people my age associate that yell with Mortal Kombat, but that was just the commercial company came up with that uh, and just asked an extra, here's an extra 50 bucks, yell the name. But it, it's sort of like we were saying, video games did not have hard release dates until now. Mortal Monday, games didn't even come out on Monday. It's just uh, mm-hmm. too alliterative to ignore. They did this time on every system. And it th- there's a one minute commercial out there. It was a huge fucking event. Everybody knew when and where to get Mortal Kombat. I, I remember trying to get people in my high school to run out into the yard 
yelling Mortal Kombat like they did in this commercial and <laughs> did not go well. Yeah, yeah. Haven't had much luck as an influencer either. Pre-orders will start to become more important because games will have release dates. Normally when I show up to get a game and they don't have it, I'm just, eh, try another store, come back next week. This is like, yeah, you... Th- if the, this game is out today, if it's not here, it's sold out and you missed it. Midnight launches, pre-orders are not far behind. Listeners, uh, behind the scenes, we throw together the same systems every week because there are no real firm dates in 1993. Come 1994 and 1995, that that's changes. kind of changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they literally just ship a con- container to one coast and let it bleed out over the country and slowly get to retailers. Here, it was like, this is in stores Mondays. Be there. And it, I, I don't remember, I wasn't there on the first day, but it was fucking wild, man. And the Genesis version is worth, worth mentioning because it had the code to do all the nasty shit. Huge or, part of the book, Console Wars, mm-hmm. and deservedly so, because this was a turning point for Genesis. They were doing what Nintendo wouldn't do. They were mm-hmm. willing, if you put in a code, to get the blood in Mortal Kombat, mm-hmm. which is what people played Mortal Kombat for. When it came out in the arcades, that's what people were talking about. It's not the superior fighting game by its controls to Street Fighter 2. It's just not. But to your early 90s young adolescent male, it was so unlike anything we'd seen in a video game before Mm -hmm. that we fell in love with it, and we wanted it in our homes. We wanted that experience. And the Nintendo game is the better game today. I mean... There's no reason to play either version, honestly, but the Nintendo version at the time had six buttons. The Genesis one, you have to play it with three buttons, which mm-hmm. is just not the way to play it. But that didn't matter because it had a blood it's code. more authentic. That's it. And, and that, that it was messaged to kids like, this is the one you want. This mm-hmm. is the one. Take this one. It, we have to create an ESRB after this. <laughs> it's it, a video game rating system. It's, it, it steers the course of the Super Nintendo Genesis console war. Release dates, pre-orders. Holy shit, Mortal Kombat is responsible for a lot. And rebooting itself in just a week or two. Maybe maybe this week by the time you're hearing this. Uh, but let's move on. Comic book. Well, you had to slide in some comic book news in a week like this. Comic book news, the NAM is canceled by Marvel. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, the what? Uh, so Nom. this is a comic book published by Marvel Comics set it during the Vietnam War with no superheroes. It is just them trying to huh. s- tell the story of Vietnam in comic book format, which was an ambitious thing to try, but the market wasn't really there for this series of mm-hmm. a book by Marvel and sales started to flag. So then they introduced a character to it. Chris, can you imagine who they introduced? Uh, Nick Fury. Is it not Nick Fury? Frank Castle. Oh, Frank Castle comes from the- uh, Nope, it's no. Frank Castle. Yeah, so they introduced him to their serious comic book and it wasn't enough and uh, then the series got canceled. Okay, okay. No more. Uh, no more. So Give is this just... technically a Punisher prequel then? Very technical. Parts of it are 100%. Oh. It's established okay. he was a soldier. No more. Just music. That's all I can handle right now. New releases. Into the Labyrinth by Dead Can Dance. Cure for Pain by Morphine. Clever. War of Words by uh, Fight, <laughs> Rob Halpert's band after leaving Judas Priest. Some Fantastic Place by Squeeze. Bat Out of Hell 2. Back into Hell by Meatloaf. Oh, good Lord. August and oh, everything you know after. What's I you know. know what song is coming. August and everything after by the uh, by the Counting Crows. It's their debut. 
But let's close out with Mariah Carey's Dream Lover. It's number one, finally knocking off Can't Help Falling in Love by UB40. We'll close out with that. There is still more to the show, if you can believe it. Uh, I'm exhausted. We'll see you in a bit. Yeah, there's still more show. Coming in with Bigger Than My Body by John Mayer off of Heavier Things, man. That John Mayer is always thinking. Welcome to 2003, 20 years ago, September 8th through the 14th. We have other new music releases, including a few questions by Clay Walker, Her Majesty, The Decemberist by The Decemberist, uh, It Still Moves by My Morning Jacket, The Meadowlands by The Wrens, uh, Mescalero by ZZ Top, Seal 4 by Seal, uh, Show Me Your Tears by Frank Black and the Catholics, uh, Wildwood uh, Flower, the final and posthumous album by June Carter Cash, and The Wolf by Andrew W.K. Shake Your Tail Feather by Nelly and P. Diddy and Murphy Lee is still number one. Hi! Welcome to 2003, everyone. A little music bringing us in. A little bit of news to remind you what was happening in the world 20 years ago. The U.N. lifts sanctions against Libya after the country agreed to accept responsibility and uh, recompensate the families of victims of the 1988 bombing of the Pan Am Flight 103. God damn, those poor people had to wait around. And they had to fight so freaking hard. That's the one that exploded over Lockerbie, Scotland, and killed uh, 200-something people in the air. And a couple people on the ground who are always the ones that feel the worst for somehow. Yeah. Well, if you want to feel worse yeah. and you weren't paying attention to movies twenty or news 20 years ago, I felt bad that John Ritter died after an undiagnosed aortic uh, dissection at the age of 54 a few hours after falling ill on the set of a sitcom, Eight Simple Rules for Dating My Teenage Daughter. I think that's a huge bummer. This isn't under our regular deaths because he didn't die on set, but he died pretty darn close to on mm-hmm. set. Yeah. Uh, and it's such a tragic story because he showed every sign of having a heart attack and when that happens they give you blood thinner and 99 out of 100 times that's the absolute right thing to do this is the one out of 100 when it's the wrong thing to do and that's what killed him and the the thing is people go well why don't you just test if you're the 99 out of 100 because that takes time and in a heart attack, a lot of times you don't have time. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. very important to just move forward it as fast as possible. So his family was obviously upset. You know, they sued the hospital. They said, you gave him the drugs that killed him. And the hospital is like, we did that because he showed every sign of a heart attack. And if we don't do that, then a whole lot more people are going to die than if we do do it. Mm. So, yep. And yeah. his wife was? Yasmin Bleak. No. Oh. You got the Y right. Uh, Amy Asmack, Amy Asmack, who we just right. talked about Asmack. as Maid Marian in Robin Hood Men in Tights. And That's his love interest winner. in both Problem Childs as a different character. I always Ooh. refer to... That's John. That's that's what a great leading man he was. Like a, a leading schlub. 
I don't think I've seen anybody do it as good as John Ritter. He is so damn funny. Yeah. He is one of those people that's just, so, I mean, the physical comedy was really what he was known for. I mean, they built Three's Company so much around. He's Jack Tripper, and, mm-hmm. and he just flails like nobody's business. He's just a giant skeleton man. And this is like a comeback thing for him. And, you know, it's a cute show. It's it's a family stuff, but it's him, Katie Seagal, uh, are coming back from, well, Futurama's many cancellations and also <laughs> uh, Married with Children. Baby Kaylee Kuoko uh, plays one of the daughters. She's a tiny baby. I'd like and to think also, it, it, the, he made her. he made this show popular enough. They did not cancel it after the my from my teenage daughter died. <laughs> no, like, what the fuck? No, they they bring in fucking James Garner as grandpa and he kills. It, it's it's insane. I I really respect that they're just like nah. He, he show must go on. Yeah. Wow. And also, I, also, I feel bad for John Ritter because it's. I don't remember if it's the same day or the next. He he gets overshadowed. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, his death is very sudden. And he's very young and everything. But he gets overshadowed by another death. Mm. I might as well just say it now. Johnny Cash passes away also this week. God damn. And yeah, yeah it's kind of a Farrah Fawcett, Michael uh, Michael Jackson, where everyone's like, "Oh no, oh no." You thought August twenty twenty three was bad. Oh boy. Oh, boy. Well, let's move on, because yeah. we have such a long show heading into this. Uh, no Good Deed is out with Sam Jackson, Mila Jovovich, and Stellan Sarsgaard. I did this movie a bad deed by not seeing it. It's kind of hard to get your paws on. Oh, is it? Other one, it's like, is this movie actually existing? Uh, because it's uh, it's based on a Dashiell Hammett story. A detective who is, like, looking for someone ends up getting, like, kidnapped by her gang. Mm-hmm. And reviews were like, eh, whatever, I guess. I think it's one of the last movies by Bob Rafelson, who made five EC pieces and also created the monkeys and is an interesting <laughs> guy. Uh, also, um, oh, go ahead. Yeah. But uh, yeah, let's blow through uh, a couple of these. Cause they're like, this movie barely exists. Like, does it have a rotten tomato score? No, they don't exist. Imagining Argentina with Antonio Banderas and Emma Thompson. We'll talk about Antonio in a minute. This is about uh, a guy who's looking for his disappeared wife in Argentina during the junta, but also it turns out he has like light psychic powers. And the reviews were not good. It's based on a book, and I have a feeling that magical realism plays better in books than it does with uh, with this. Moving on. Moving on. Yeah, those are movies that like don't exist anymore. But we got four that definitely do that I, I enjoy. Yeah the uh, the the rise of Eli Roth, uh, Ryder Strong, his, his debut, uh, James DeBello and uh, Jordan Ladd and uh, Cabin Fever. Uh, he's a professor of being a fucking dog. That's also Eli hey. Roth in the movie. Uh, hey, fu- hey, 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 remember in True what Saul Rubinek's character is named? Oh, uh, what? Saul Rubinek's character's last name was Donowitz. Oh. Oh, Bear Jew? Hey, Bear Jew. Yeah, the Bear Jew's first movie, um, which is, I, I guess, a zombie movie, in a way. I honestly didn't get to revisit it, and I don't remember... But it was one of those things that made a shitload of, like, a big festival wave for about right. 18 months and finally comes out for the rest of this year. And it is, it is fascinating to look at a movie that cost $1 million, making 30 at the box office after the festival circuit and not including DVD. So, Damn. Yeah, I, I don't... Yeah. I, I wouldn't have seen this movie and be like, man, this I'm going to hear about this guy for the next 20 years. I feel like he's just a really fun guy to be around. Like, works with the same people all the time. Is what? Is he bad dude? Uh, there have been some stories. Oh, well, I mean, you know, looking at him, you can sort of see it. But 
you know, the <laughs> old guys he hangs out with seem to like him very much. It might be that the guys who hang out with him yes. like him. That We might un- underline that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's... It, I, I appreciate that it's I didn't watch it because I'm a sissy, but that it is a sort of a, it is a not a postmodern zombie film, but it's a, it's a horror film that knows the genre and knows that we know the genre and is going to reference some of that. So there's a certain amount of Night of the Living Dead in here and that like there's this like gross infection in your skin and gross things mm-hmm. happen with your skin and then people try to hide it and then they go crazy and they attack each other and then uh, like a dog goes crazy and a dog kills somebody and then. You know, but they're they're at a cabin in the woods. How do we get away? Oh no, there's a crazy guy outside, and oh, it turns out he's uncrazy because of this infection. But it's a great example. I am of, giving it short shrift of horror. What you can do for very little money, and one of the stars of Boy Meets World. If you have yeah. a clever idea, that's well executed. And if you want to hear what the director, if you want to hear what the director has to say about accusations of homophobia in his film, you can listen to him in this clip. Oh, good. He's a little douchey. People would come out and they're like, you know, your movie's really homophobic. <laughs> Which, of course, makes me respond going, what a faggy thing to say. Like, wait, no. I can't help. No, no. <laughs> a swell guy that Eli Roth. Hey. Uh, let's move on, shall we? Because, holy shit, that first segment. I'm starving. Uh, but this movie, a biopic about someone I actually wanted a biopic about. Um, <laughs> Hope Davis fucking Paul Tiamani in American Splendor. This... <laughs> the best casting that ever happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, if anything, like, Paul Giamatti at his worst doesn't come close to the real Harvey Picar at his most irritated. He, what a weird character. Like, everybody who was on Letterman more than 20 times and wasn't pushing a movie deserves a biopic because they're, <laughs> they're probably an incredible weirdo. And the only thing I, like, don't love about this movie is, like, I didn't feel like I learned anything. Just like, here's what he did when he wasn't on Letterman. <laughs> he was well, in love. I don't think that was its point. I think this yeah. was more like just showing you early subculture, you know, the days yes. before Comic-Con was a huge media event when you had to work, really work to seek out people of similar interest. Because yeah. I, I really felt this growing up. It was like I was a huge comic book fan. Really no one in my... Uh, class was also a huge comic book fan so it was like pretty isolating it was like okay well maybe like one or two guys but other than that how do i find people who like what i like and then the internet came and i guess i felt like a sailor on shore leave for the last 20 years because by <laughs> god can you drink from the geek fire hose as much as you want these days wasn't true uh for these characters though true yeah this is it's it's so fun because it is it's a biopic but it's also kind of an adaptation of his comic books but it also is a movie about making that movie Mm -hmm. yeah so rvp car works as a file clerk at the va and is a is a grumpy schlubby motherfucker and you can tell because he's played by paul giamatti and Mm -hmm. (laughs) like he's friends with robert crumb and they you know make some comics together about Harvey Picar being a sloppy motherfucker and that yeah and then sort of like gets attention and then he, he keeps going on Letterman and it's like being annoying in some ways and it's so it's so weird because they have the real Harvey narrating it and talking about this guy is playing me and then they'll show the real Harvey talking about stuff and like Paul Giamatti will be like in the background <laughs> just hanging out on a set and it, it just it blends the autobiographical with the film 
in just very, very interesting ways. Mm. And it did one thing I thought was really smart. His friend Toby shows up and I. He is a nerd. Yes, he is a nerd and he loves Revenge of the Nerds. And he did some bits for MTV back in the day. I had vague recollections of him. Mm. And they have Judah Freelander come out playing him and he's not neurotypical. And that I love that right after you see him for the first time with Judah Freelander playing him, you see the real one, the real, the real Toby. And you realize, Oh no, they're not making fun of him. That's how he is. Mm-hmm. Like other, cause I was a little bit like, are we making fun of a guy with special needs? Oh, nope. That's just him. He's, he's happy the way he is. Just leave the nerd. Alone. He's king of the nerds. nerds. God, I love the way he says you know, it. Ugh. I love the way he says it. And it just has an interesting perspective on things. <laughs> we know the meaning of revenge of the nerds and what it means to him. And everyone at the end of the film admits they are nerds. Nerds. Um, and they're united. And there is solidarity. Throw in uh, Dr. Venture as Robert Crumb. And man, you got your... Again, fantastic casting. Looks just like him. And uh, it is, it, it's hey, so look, good. listeners, you like comic books and good movies? This is all about comics and one of the most well-reviewed movies of the year, <laughs> I believe, will come upon. It's, yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a good peon to very average people who are outsiders. And, yeah, it's fun that it, it's nerds in love, that he finds a woman who's just as weird and particular dude, as he is. It should give any lonely heart out there some hope. Harvey yep. Picar is an unlovable man. <laughs> he got married three times. It's... How is this possible? <laughs> three times. Oh, and then up next, the movie. Oh my God. Alison Lohman, Sam Rockwell, Nicholas Cage in, was this uh, Ridley Ridley Scott's uh, Matchstick Men? Matchstick Men. You're a con man? A con artist. Matchstick Man is deviously clever with a hip sense of humor. <laughs> it's a 21st century version of The Sting. How much do you think we can take that guy for? 30 grand. More. A million? Nicholas Cage turns in a tour de force performance with heart and soul. I'm not very good at being a dad. I barely get by being me. Director Ridley Scott has a wealth of tricks up his sleeve in this twisty caper comedy. Matchstick Man, rated PG-13. And uh, you said you had fond memories of this one. I I had fond memories. I rewatched it. I have a couple issues with it, but overall, <laughs> I find this like very enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, I can see people's complaints. Nicholas Cage plays someone with appears to be Tourette's and some extreme OCD and anxiety. Piss blood. And uh, some people might think he's overdoing the tics or. You know, it's he's Nicholas it's too, Cage. He's going to overdo it a little bit. Yeah, that it's 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 too much. And okay, fine. But yeah, it's about uh, Nicholas Cage and Sam Rockwell are con artists, and then Allison Lohman shows up as Nicholas Cage's daughter that he has no connection with, and he tries to learn how to deal with her while they're running a con. There so you go. My issue. Uh, I a went into this movie ship hmm? heist movie. It's not yeah. going to blow you away, but it's also not the type of movie you have to like psych yourself up with mental energy to watch. You know, this is just something. It's a Ridley Scott off. movie. <laughs> well, well, no, but no, I was thinking about nowhere how... near Ridley Scott's heaviest or worst movie. It's no, it's I, I was, I was thinking about this. That is strange, and we do have. I like that we have the Scott brothers, both of them, this week. But the Ridley Scott, how many of his movies take place in the modern day? Almost none. Very, it's like a quarter. Or so mm-hmm. I was like, okay, Thelma Louise, uh, Dark Rain, a good year, I think. Uh, yeah, 
He does not tend to make movies about just regular schmegular people. He loves his sword and loincloth movies now. Yes, or space, or what have you. And so that's kind of a nice little change of pace there. That's like, this is going to be very, very well directed, and it's about regular schmegular people. So I, I didn't uh, I didn't rewatch this because I remember how mad I was when I did watch it because I watched this why? movie because I watched this movie for Sam Rockwell. I love Sam Rockwell and I'm like Sam Rockwell's not in this movie enough. Oh, I wonder if we'll see him towards the end. And then it just has this fucking ending that's I like I won't even spoil it because I like barely remember it. I'm like that is these guys are still losers and that is incredibly <laughs> elaborate. Why not mm-hmm. do this in any other form of business and succeed perfectly fine? In, in order to set all this up, you're a genius. Go do something else. It, it just it, yeah. it makes sense in a, in a like to heighten it in a movie, but it, like no, that's this is dumb. This whole premise is dumb. Oh and, really? Because see, I there is a big twist in it that I did not see coming. But it is one of those that's you think about it for a second and go. Oh, all the clues actually were there. I just wasn't paying attention to them. I got conned along with this character. Gotcha. But it does actually make sense. So many movies where they have, you know, a big twist Mm -hmm. at the end where it's like, well, you did that by lying to the audience. Mm -hmm. No, (laughs) they didn't lie to the audience. They lied to the character and we are following that character. Right. This is why we don't see Sam Rockwell enough. Um, well, he's around, and he's around at very important points, and then you realize, oh, wait, that, but the phone call that he got, that's what he said was on the phone, but is that really who was on the phone? Uh, yeah, it's fine. It's not like a huge recommend. It's not like, oh, my God, you have to go see this right now. But it was a, it was better than I was expecting, <laughs> and mm. it held up on rewatch, which... A lot yeah. of things with like a twist really fucking don't. It's true, especially when you know it's coming. The next movie is a movie I always feel like I like more, and then don't after watching it. Am I not? I'm, I'm this? the opposite. Yeah. I'm. I, I remembered. Oh yeah, that was pretty cute. And then I rewatched it. I was like, I fucking loved that. What the fuck? So I've seen the other two movies in this trilogy, but this is my first time watching okay. this one. And I was like, okay, that's a mm. that's a decent conclusion, kind of, mm. okay. sort of. Okay. Cheech Marin, Danny Trejo, Johnny Depp. Selma Hayek, Antonio Banderas, and why not Enrique Iglesias in there somewhere? It's number one at the box office, beating out Matchstick Man. I was a little surprised by that. It's Once Upon a Time in Mexico. You want to know the secret to winning? One has to rig the game. It was supposed to be the perfect crime. I will calmly waltz away with $20 million of cash. You join me and share the sports. You dig it? I can dig it. But there was one thing they didn't plan on. Hell has come out of hiding. Once upon a time in Mexico. Oh yeah, it might get a wee bit dangerous there, sugar, but rated R. Woo! Uh, scrappy little end of the trilogy. It's very hard to say. We'll talk about that in a second. But I love Desperado, and that was sort of like what? What, what would you call that? Like Robert R- Rodriguez makes a sends up a big old flare for his talent with El Mariachi, and gets to kind of direct a big, bigger budget sequel in Desperado, which I thought was really mm-hmm. cool at the time. And then yep. this is like. A very modestly budgeted movie. I think about the same budget as Desperado with a much bigger cast. And then also shot quickly on a, a HD video. I think his first his first digital HD video uh, shoot before he did that exclusively. And it looks so much better than other digital video. Pretty crazy. Time. Oh, my That's God. That's what surprised me. Mm-hmm. Because early digital it doesn't hold up as well. But 
For some reason, this does. This, it, maybe they just know how to light it? I don't fucking I, know. I think the, just, the, the, Party the, Monster last week looked like a bad soap opera. The lighting, the, the, lighting was also, the lighting was also Mexico, which, <laughs> seriously, it, it sheds beautiful light. Like filming, uh, what would you call it, uh, uh, what, not, non-outdoor, indoor scenes, you'll see digital video with that kind of stuff. But there's mm-hmm. a, there, a lot of this is outdoors. And uh, or using like real natural light from a church, beautiful shots. And again, I'm not shitting on the movie. I just remember going to see this thing. This is going to be my favorite movie I've ever seen. Holy shit! He's it's going to be this ultimate end to the this this trilogy. I just came out of nowhere, and I just felt myself left a little flat. It was a rough week. We were recovering from a hurricane and all that stuff, and maybe I wasn't in the right mood. But let me know what you guys think. Oh, I I freaking loved it. I remember as being like, yeah, that's a lot of fun. It's very light, silly pulpy there is definitely an awful lot of pulpy bloodshed as there is in all of the mariachi movies because Mm. the whole point is he's a mariachi who shoots people a lot and then runs around and then shoots more people and there's (laughs) this time that there's a very twisty turny plot and i was not surprised to see it's inspired by good the bad and the ugly Mm -hmm. which is but for half the runtime because that's also very like twisty turny episodic things come and go and ends up not making a big difference and that's kind of the same plot here it's, where it's wearing leon okay, on his so, shoulder yeah okay so johnny depp is a cia agent who's who working... walks around in a t-shirt that says <laughs> cia on it right who's knows that a general supported by a drug cartel run by willem defoe and brownface is going to try to assassinate the president. And then he also wants retired FBI agent Ruben Blades to go assassinate the drug kingpin. And also everyone's trying to get Antonio Banderas because he is a mariachi. Yes. Who's... Because he's the best assassin there is. And he wants to kill the general for killing Selma Hayek, which they don't. She's billed second. She's dead she's in flashbacks <laughs> yeah. including one with an incredible action scene that's there because i wanted to bring that up because i do give credit to any action movie that shows me an action scene i've never seen before and yep. so they're both chained together all right mm-hmm. and they have to escape out a window and there's a series of cascading balconies but each one is too far to just jump to directly. So one person jumps to it while chained to the other. Then the other person jumps and swinging by the chain that is chained <laughs> to the other person gets gets to the next balcony. It's brilliant. I've never seen it before and it works. Yeah. Then that's, that's so that, those are my compliments to the movie that it is at its heart. It's scrappy as shit. This is a $30 million movie Damn. using, using technology that thus far only star Wars has used. Mm. And uh, yeah. in, in terms of its, digital film and uh yeah it's it's clearly a labor of love between a bunch of people who like the same shit i i think it's johnny depp's first bad guy role if you want to call it that he had yeah I, that's that's sort of like back when we all still <laughs> love johnny depp I, that was one of the reasons that got me in theater like holy shit he's gonna play a bad guy he's gonna play a bad guy and he's gonna have so much fun doing mm-hmm. it like he is he, he's the bad guy but also sort of the comic relief but also he just relishes the evilness <laughs> Yeah. He just—he's having a good time. That's I, the important. Thing. I think if Robert Rodriguez wants to have William Defoe there in Spanish face, it's legal. It's allowed. Well, yeah, that's kind of how I uh, was like. Well, <laughs> this is a Mexican writer and director, so if he like, there's plenty of people in Mexico who look like Willem Defoe. Are you sure? 
Well, I mean, of his coloring in general, I guess. But like, oh my god, this. Well, it's it's less impressive to it's it's easier to find someone with Willem Dafoe's coloring in Mexico than it is to find another guy who looks a ton like Willem Dafoe, yeah. which they do. <laughs> That's amazing. Let me just ask you one question, though. Yeah. Uh, do you think this what movie happened? was made? No. Do you think this movie was made by Mexicans or Mexicans? <laughs> Mexicans. <laughs> Oh. I love Danny Trejo so much. Yeah, and that's, I love him. I went down a bit of a rabbit hole, and I did want to ask you guys: like, wh- the connection to Tarantino and other Robert, Robert Rodriguez movies is so confusing. I, I always thought I had it down in my head, but this uh-huh. is n- not necessarily related to From Dust Till Dawn, and therefore the other Grindhouse movies. But it also is, but not related to the Machete movies, but sort of is. And the machete movies. I, mean, all- I don't think you can say that just because something has a similar. No, 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 no. They have that- the same characters and the same actors. Sometimes playing those characters, sometimes playing different characters, and and, and machetes in the Spy Kids movie, lest we forget, uh, <laughs> which opens up a whole other can of worms connecting Tarantino to Spy Kids. I can't, yeah, I can't believe this is coming out so close to Spy Kids three where obviously they shot that and while they're doing the effects, he just runs off like, okay, me and my buddies are going to Mexico. Bye. You can see how I love the credit uh, shot, chopped and uh, written by uh, what is he? How do you say it uh, in the credits? He's fascinated by digital film. He remember, if you remember at the time, he's like, I never have to leave Austin to make a movie. Cause I don't need <laughs> like rolls of film and uh, massive lighting crews. I can use my own crew in Austin and edit it here instead of some massive film bay. Holy shit. Yeah, he like he reveled in this during that period. That was his output is pretty astounding. It really is. And no, none of them have quite hit a, a bad note yet. Well, eventually for 2013 we'll talk about I think is actually his worst movie and it's very disappointing. This one is just just so another one is like over the top and goofy and fun and yeah. never a dull moment mm-hmm. kind of thing. One of the best trilogies designed for middle school boys I can think of. Yeah. It is just <laughs> I, I, I got to watch my brother-in-law uh, during the hurricane, like access to very few movies. Like, ah, I used to love this movie as a kid. I'm going to throw it on Boondock Saints. And I just start laughing at him. Like, what? Like, God damn it. I'm leaving the room. You'll see. <laughs> and it's like, this is what Troy Duffy is trying to do. It, it, Antonio Banderas literally spins in a circle and shoots people. And you believe it. In that movie, it looks ridiculous. And <laughs> yeah, Exactly. And yeah. he's got, I don't uh, know, like five lines. <laughs> and more, uh, most of the movie's in Spanish, too. I've forgotten yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. So it's maybe 50-50. Yeah. In today's 2023 world, we have pretty old action stars a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And everyone in this movie is like the exact right age. You know, Antonio yeah. Banderas, Selma Hayek, Johnny Depp. They're all just like the right age to be in this action movie. Right. And... Mm-hmm. We kind of need that today. We need younger action heroes than I think I see most of the time. I mean, I love seeing the actors of my youth, but your action phase of life is a certain phase of life. Right. And a lot of them are just past it. And, and it seems like the youngest action star the movies can keep giving us is Jason Statham. And he, he's getting a little old. <laughs> uh, my yeah. final comment on this movie is that this is the last film filmed before Johnny Depp's Pirate of the Caribbean performance of Jack Sparrow came out. I I don't see any Jack Sparrow in this role, 
but I feel like the next 10 years are going to be like yeah. Jack Sparrow is the shadow to every performance he does for the next 10 years. That's uh, that, yeah. that's why it was kind of exciting before Jack Sparrow. Like my friends and I couldn't wait to go see Johnny Depp in a film. And and he never played a villain before and sort of puts that on pause during his Jack Sparrow period and then probably will be exclusively villains from now on. <laughs> uh, mm, I don't know if he's I don't know if he's working. If he wants to work, I, I don't know. I made it a point to look at his IMDb. And I'm like, I didn't know he was in this much stuff this recently. And is this all foreign stuff? It's not American stuff you've heard of. But the dude's out there still working. Mm-hmm. The less I think about Johnny Depp, the better I feel. But Once Upon a Time in Mexico, it's just something I, I wish I loved more. Because I just, everything about it from the cast to the these action sequences, I want it to gel together in a, like a must recommend. But, you know, maybe I was in a rushed mindset but for a 30 million dollar movie number one at the box office good on you robert Rodriguez. fucking hell yeah yeah uh, i don't know it's a it's a complete recommend for me it is just just so goofy and fun and over the top and over stylized and everyone's just so ridiculously sexy and yep it's just fun i just yeah. had a really good time well moving on to tv uh notice will excite everyone in the audience the ellen degeneres show everybody dance debuts Yay. Uh, and syndication makes it almost 20 seasons, 19 seasons and f- almost 4,000 episodes of Ugh. pranks and dancing and being discourteous to your staff and lack of eye contact. I don't know. I've never watched any of this stuff. Ellen DeGeneres show. You tell me, audience. I don't know what I'm talking about. You know, she had well. 3,294 episodes. Mm-hmm. Someone was watching her. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't mean yeah, to say... No, I, I'm- I was see it sometimes, and it was it was a nice balance of a variety of different kinds of talk shows. It's a little bit more like a late night talk show during the day. Mm-hmm. Um, That's true. You know, and that it was like celebrities and chit chatting as opposed to you know stories about yep paternity tests or whatever. You know that was yeah it, it was a little more chatty, but also like yeah fun little segments, a little thing over here, a little over there, and you know she I I think. Uh, she was kind of trying to adopt Oprah's audience, which she sorted it. Mm. But well, her even whole lighter branding. and less topical. So, yeah, it was smart. And the fact, I hate to put this up, it's 2003. You know, everyone's letting lesbians into their homes. Good for them. <laughs> her whole brand was kindness, though. That was like a big thing with her show. And I mm-hmm. think that's why a lot of people felt betrayed, betrayed yeah. by this person they never met. When all these stories, you know, it's one thing if one story comes out that you're uh, an unkind boss, but it's like story after story after story, all people confirming that, yeah, she's not a nice person. And I do stand behind my statement, art is separate from the artist. Hosting the talk show is an art. If you are hosting a talk show whose message is kindness is good, that message is still valid even if you yourself are not a kind person. Now, that may mean that people don't take you personally as a mentor, but the message itself can still stand. Mm. Mm. I see what you're saying. And I'll even defend her a little bit because this whole period, she's doing like 8,000 other things. I've overextended myself, and my job is to be pleasant and it really it's it's a hard act to hold up when you're frustrated and scared <laughs> then you have to smile and go out and throw a party for everybody it can be a nightmare so and, and yeah. I, w- I wasn't i wasn't doing anything near as high level as ellen was yeah well, it's smart to strike while the iron is hot man i mean we, finding nemo was a huge hit mm-hmm. people loved her in that and it totally carried over 
Yeah, and I, I would definitely bid on a robot from Epcot. I want that Ellen robot. Up next, Whoopi debuts on NBC. And this isn't a talk show. It's a sitcom, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right on time, the Whoopi Goldberg sitcom, 2003. Uh, So she plays a one-hit wonder who turns out she owns a hotel? Mm -hmm. What? Okay. Yeah. What the fuck kind of premise is that? I don't don't know. uh, You're running out of your savings, but here's a business that you (laughs) successful business you get to inherit. I I mean, isn't it kind of Schitt's Creek is kind of the same thing of like, oh, you're out of money, but you have this one last thing. I suppose. No, no way. Why can't we find something good for Whoopi Goldberg? I I mean, she's not bad on The View. If anything, that may be what she's... I'd hate to admit that might be what she's best at because she's just a comedic person that's very fast on her feet and just Mm. naturally funny. I don't know, man. I hate to see Whoopi Goldberg languish in shitty canceled sitcoms. Anyway, and then uh, JR, you may be able to speak more of this. I didn't have UPN... But uh, and so I never saw Enterprise. This is not the premiere of Enterprise. This no. is when it begins its first season-long sequence, and that's the first time any Star Trek series has ever tried to devote a season to one storyline. Mm-hmm. Also, three episodes in, uh, the names changed to Star Trek Enterprise. Before it was just Enterprise. <sighs> they should probably make a behind-the-scenes making of star trek enterprise movie Mm. because it was such a weird beast you know rick bergman you know he he's as important to the star trek franchise as gene roddenberry he was in charge of star trek television for 18 years okay Mm. and when voyager was going off he said i am done i am tired please Let's just let Star Trek go fallow for a little while. If you try to milk it too long, it won't go well. And they said, okay, we're going to get someone else to make our show. And he was like, they're going to fuck it up. So mm-hmm. I guess I'll come back. Yeah, I think, I think the, the stakes changed once Paramount started its own network. And like, why would we mm-hmm. launch our own network without our own pre- our prestigious, most prestigious IP involved? Yeah. So it was an interesting concept. I think a lot of Enterprise fans will say that this is the weakest season, though. They mm. didn't have the skills to pull off a season-long arc yet. You know, that wasn't that common no, in it, 2003, yeah. especially for network television No, shows. it was something that, like, I feel like HBO slowly, like, ushered in and FX to an extent, like, this is this is what will keep people tuning in every week. 100% prestige mm-hmm. television is still rare in mm-hmm. 2003, which I'm going to talk about in a later show. But yeah, network television didn't have the skills to do this, what they were trying to do, I think is the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Enterprise, man. I've, 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 I always hear like good with a caveat whenever anybody talks about Enterprise. Mm-hmm. But JR uh, speed run it. 12, <laughs> 15 of the best episodes of all time. You'll be fine. I wonder if any come from this season or if it's all this season. Probably not. Jake 2.0 debuts on UPN as well this week, as well as the mullets. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I, I, I've I never heard of either of these. Jake 2.0 is he's an NSA agent who's infected with nanobots, and now he has superpowers. Oh, I thought uh, Jake Busey. It's the million-dollar man. Mm. man you know. yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The mullets is created by Bill Oakley and Josh Weinstein. Oh, I am just learning. And it is about an entire family, and they all have mullets, and they're rednecks and weird. Lonnie oh. Anderson. It gets about as many episodes as Mission Hill. This is not fair. That's wrong. Yeah. This is not fair. Well, 
we can uh, listen to the Mullet's plan for a great future. And you can tell me if you think it's realistic or not. New roofing job. Guess I'm feeling okay about it. Feeling okay? You should be feeling psyched, stoked, and 1,000% in freaking thews. Because we got the world in front of us, man. Nothing we can't do with your brains and my bar, little Enron juice. Talking about a recipe for success. You said it. Because <laughs> Denny and Dwayne Mullet are living the American dream. Today, we're just fixing a roof. But it's only the first step. After roofing comes contracting, then construction, casino operation, all-around real estate moguling, sports team ownership, sexy young trophy wives, political power, and bam! An American dynasty is born! All hail the mud boys! I'm telling you, man, this roof is our stairway to the stars! Oh, yes, I knew it was coming. I knew the fall was coming. And I should point out that is uh, Always Sunny's Rickety Cricket. Uh, in the role yeah. of the mullets. Uh, <laughs> I love rickety cricket. So, Fucking right, though. God damn it. I don't like going from casinos to real estate to politics. I don't appreciate that, <laughs> mullets. I, I will call this week's HBO debut crop, because we were still, because of the strength of The Sopranos and the continued strength of Six Feet Under and the continued petering out of Oz, I was going to friend's house and we were eating dinner together and watching an HBO show every Sunday. Carnival and K Street. Mm. Man, does Carnival, I want to like so fucking much, even in my memories. But, Same with you. Uh, I, again, yeah. prestige television is a rare and precious jewel in 2003. The, we do not have this smorgasbord of TV shows that look like movies. It's like HBO that's about it mm-hmm. that's all you got whatever hbo is making that's that's your prestige television hope you like it and i really want like this at the time i didn't revisit it because back in 2003 i couldn't really love it so i'm really doubtful that with all i've seen since then i'll be like wow this is great i have i have trusted friends that say you'll love it if you watch it in conjunction with the second season which i thought i watched but I did rewatch the first season a few years ago and like, dude, this is so dull. Like <laughs> you are, you're not even like, you're teasing a teaser for like multiple characters and never getting to the point in up to and including the end of the season. Holy yeah. shit. How long do you think you have to spin your wheels? I don't care if it's pretty. And then, and then K street um. was, was sort of the opposite problem. Like, Oh, I don't care that much about Washington lobbyists. Sorry, Soderbergh. Yeah. <laughs> Not for me. Yeah, Carnival, I find so frustrating because it's kind of like Lost Meets Twin Peaks mm-hmm. with like all of the problems of both, but all of the great parts of both. Like there is sort of like the central mystery and, and the you know, you're you're waiting for a showdown that you, you may or may not ever happen. But like if it does happen, that's probably the end of the show. Right. Mm-hmm. But there's kind of there is a certain amount of feeling like they're spinning their wheels on some of that stuff but then there's also well tied into x-files too there's also like some a lot of episodes are just an interesting thing happens that has nothing to do with with your central mythos and it has the deepest bench of some of the best fucking actors yeah Yeah. oh my god it's got clancy brown absolutely destroys on this show that, he is so fucking good weird looking girl who's weird looking but hot nick stall <laughs> clay clay Duvall? i don't remember <laughs> the skinny Duvall? lady clay Duvall's fucking great amy madigan's fucking great toby huss toby huss baby is so wonderful on this show tim decay like people that like you see them pop up on other shows and you're like oh that guy would you know and they'll have like one scene they'll just be like why isn't this guy on everything they're amazing 
And I'm Michael J. Anderson, who's known as like the little guy from the other place on Twin Peaks, the, you know, the, the little person who yeah. does the creepy dance. Mm-hmm. He does some great acting. On goddamn show too. And and you are right. The people who sing this praise, the praises to me, are just the biggest Twin Peaks fans you can imagine. But yeah. they'll say it's not perfect and in conjunction with the second season. Because, like, I was looking, they set out with HBO to do six seasons. And I'm like, you oh can God. tell because there may not have been enough ideas in the first season to keep this thing moving that long unless you did nothing, unless you spun your wheels. That character, the main character limps around moping for so long, so long. <laughs> and it's not a cute David Lynch thing either. Oh, oh, Carnival. Uh, how I wanted to love you uh, so much. We were so uh, excited. Uh, and K Street was just dull and bo- like it was it was shot on digital video. And one of those things that like, oh, this looks like a digital camera you purchased at circuit city like a week beforehand super grainy super talky all about pol- lots of phone stuff which is always like mm-hmm. yeah i get it, it's realistic realistic but like it's kind of boring right like wheeling dealing over the phone yeah i, I just uh, have so little interest in wheeling and dealing even if it's coming from steven soderbergh and co-produced by george clooney i don't find political wheeling and dealing uh, honestly i just find it stressful because like I would just like good things to happen, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and then finally as like, oh, a palate cleanser, what I refer to as one of my favorite things that has ever aired on television, ever. The 10th anniversary Conan O'Brien special. It is a best of, it is a bunch of new staged pranks, new triumph material, all the characters come out on stage. It's it's in prime time for Andy Richter comes back. They do an Andy segment. It's one of my favorites. I think it is the funniest 90 minutes I've ever seen on television. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a great special. For me yeah. to poop on. Oh, I, was, <laughs> I, 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 I kid, I kid, I kid. I kid. I bought this on DVD. I try and keep it close to me at all times. And because it's unstreamable, I think YouTube occasionally gets away with putting part of it up, but there's a lot of licensed music in it, so it gets like part of it will get taken down. Uh, I've had to buy the DVD numerous times. It might still be, it's definitely out of print, but you might still be able to find it. However, patreon.com slash laser time. We did our Conan episode. We did a full watch along to the whole special that you can find on our Patreon. Uh, so yeah, five bucks. You can just go watch that there. In addition to getting the new season of Elm Street Nightmare and some uh, over a hundred bonus episodes. I rarely plug this early, but uh, I, I, you will see my delight in the 10th anniversary Conan O'Brien special. Cause like it is hard to officially release a talk show, you know, like mm-hmm. who wants to watch 3000 episodes of the Conan O'Brien show. This is a much more palatable way to watch it with special guests. Aplenty, Jack Black, Will Ferrell, uh, David Lee Roth, <laughs> <laughs> Abe Vigoda, William Shatner and John Tesh riding a bicycle built for three and saying nothing. They just ride by and almost fall off this fucking bike. Cause Jesus Christ, Abe Vigoda is doing no work. Uh, <laughs> Oh, it's it's seriously one of the funniest things uh, you can see. I recommend it. I uh, can't recommend it enough, especially getting on patreon.com slash laser time. I was a huge Conan fan pretty much from the moment he premiered. Uh, but when I moved to Japan for a few years, I just stopped watching him. And I think this was the first Conan thing I saw in like two years. So it was just such a joy to just be exposed to this guy I'd come to love in such a well done entertaining and it sums up his show that's what it does if you want to get someone hey why did you like early conan and just 
just show this. It's great. And the only other, I remember I showed my friends this and like, dude, I swear if you don't, even if you don't know Conan, this will make you laugh for 90 minutes. And the only other summation, if you haven't seen it, JR, it was on its TBS show when Brian McCann quit and they just run through stills of his characters. It's uh, the guy who loves his two inch penis, the guy who bowls whales, S&M Lincoln, uh, <laughs> Robo Hunk, and of course the greatest character in history, the FedEx Pope, which is a guy in a hotel with a bathrobe and a FedEx box on his head. <laughs> FedEx Pope rules. Um, <laughs> FedEx Pope forever. Moving on to the uh, games of this week, because it's not so much a game that's important, but something even more important than a single game that comes out. PNO3, that's a game that comes out for GameCube, part of Capcom's ex- exclusivity deal. I don't know if that's popped up anywhere else, unlike Beautiful Joe and Resident Evil remakes. Well, this is picture perfect made for gaming demographics in 2003 mm-hmm. because it has sexy, jiggling butts and exploding robots. Yay! So, hey. <laughs> I'm almost I'm there. I'm uh, down. Definitely going to need a break in between these segments. Uh, and then Starsky and Hutch, the game you've all been demanding on the system you demanded it on, the GBA. Congratulations. <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> the, the fuck? Okay, you're ripping off GTA on the GBA. What the hell? <laughs> there is a decent GTA I mean, on the GBA. But yeah, it was, it was, it was bizarre. And, but remember, like, uh, boomers are still licensing stuff. And there's a, the movie's coming out, right? The Starsky and Hutch movie. Yeah, we haven't yeah, talked we about didn't. it. So, like, I imagine I don't a, think we did. We haven't. Ta- I know we haven't talked about it. Um, yeah, we haven't. Um, yeah, two thousand four. So yeah, that sounds year. right. So they're they're priming the pumps, you know, by making a driving game on the GBA so slow. You think <laughs> it's a uh, Golden Girls video game more than a Starsky and Hutch driving Ouch. game? <laughs> Ouch! And then um, for all of our French fans out there. Asterix and Obelix kick buttocks on PS2. Um, (laughs) I've been hearing about these guys for 25 years, and I still don't get it. Uh, You know, my (laughs) European internet friends mention that, and I'm just like, so they're just, they're they're ancient Roman? Hagar the Horrible? it's It's more the design. Like, if you've ever, like, when you're a kid starving for comics, and you see, like, Peos Smurfs and Pee Wee, like, damn, this looks like Disney esque. Holy shit. And so does this. And it's a little more violent, a little more slapstick. Uh, it's it's weird, but like, I, we would um, rent a room in a, uh, one of my parents' friends' beach house every year when I was a little kid, and their newspaper got this comic strip. And I loved the way it looked. I thought it looked so much better than like any other comic. And that's, that's how I ended up liking this at all. But yeah, it's, it's we're Americans. We don't really get much asterisks over here. But there's a cool arcade yeah. game out there, and uh, Gerard Depardieu will play Opelix if you're really desperate for more of it. And then I think the biggest release is Valve releases a game distribution software under the name of Steam. Stem Steam. It's Steam. 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 I can't believe this is 20 years old. This is insane to me. I'm fully aware of how Steam is not as great a value today in 2023 as it was back when it came out. But listeners, my brain is burned and seared with the memories of only getting a video game for my birthday and Christmas. And that's it. And you had to drive to the store to get it. So the world that Steam invented for me, where it was like Steam sales, you mean I can buy this game for 
five dollars the price <laughs> of a magazine for a video game blew my mind i mean dude that in that aspect of it is like a decade away like yeah. no nobody had any idea any other publisher would agree to release all of their content on steam at this point i remember we had to get it as counter-strike players all of a sudden overnight you could not play counter-strike without this thing called steam and we all hated it i also love for whatever credits were anytime i log into my steam account it's like this is how many oh you've been here since launch day i've i've had steam at launch reluctantly i a week later i downloaded a client around steam to play counter-strike <laughs> and didn't use it again for years because i don't think it really took off until like you can play half-life 2 on this like now you don't have to wait you don't have to install this and that right you have to install this and that but like that was when uh people really started paying attention to steam it was a real soft launch i would love to see what it looked like on day one because i don't remember what other games were available there it wasn't a lot because it was a huge bet. Like, who the fuck is Valve to think they can start the, the digital Kmart of games? They've made, like, three good games. <laughs> who the fuck is Valve? But they did it through online connectivity and, uh, like, a system that helped multiplayer people get in and out of their shit and keep contact with their friends easier. Kind of ingenious, if you think about it. A simple thing that no one was thinking about. And consoles didn't have anything to match for almost half a decade. Steam, baby. Valve is such a different company these days. Yeah. I was uh, listening to an interview with an ex-Valve employee who came up with this business plan showing that this low-budget video game had a very high probability of making $200 million. And the response they got back yeah. was, that is $0 billion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can't imagine what it's like to... Because the people I've heard from who quit there, they quit just because, like you kind of fumble around and then like, eh, people lose it. It doesn't work like a normal company. They have billion, billions of dollars flowing in from other from billions. other things that aren't making games, but there's still a ton of people there making games you never see because, you know, we don't, ha we don't have to. If we don't have at least something amazing, if, we, if this isn't amazing, why bother? And that's good and also not good if you're a creative person. You know, you do want people to see what you're working on. And I, I've seen a couple people quit there just like, I don't have anything to show for like my, my decade here. It's all... Anyway, moving on to uh, Malagueña Salarosa, what will be taking us out from Once, a Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Probably yep. composed by Robert Rodriguez, too. Uh, not composed by, but played by. Played yeah, by, with yeah. His, with his band Chingon. Chingon, uh, but yeah. Double R will take just, us out. And uh, yeah, we got one more segment. Stay right there. Malagueña Mr. Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea. It's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of September 8th through 14th, God, I feel like this episode is already full of recommendations. It's like, I don't even want to recommend anything. But yeah, we got a couple notable things that I'm going to throw out, so might as well. 
So uh, let's go backwards in time, starting with 50 years ago this week, 1973. History Corner is the coup in Chile that puts Augusto Pinochet into power. And I want to recommend a movie with the most appropriate title in the world, Missing, with Sissy Spacek and Jack Lemmon. And it's about them looking for their son, who's one of the disappeared in Chile. It's a fantastic movie. Um, and I know this because TCM ran it, but it is almost impossible to find now. Missing is missing. But if you can find Missing from 81, 82, total recommend. I, I, I was honestly blown away by it. And I'm pissed off that people cannot see Missing. Missing is missing. Then 60 years ago this week, we have a real down and dirty movie with Sam Fuller. <laughs> Sam Fuller's a down and dirty motherfuckers, but... You know what? Tarantino's the guy who fucking super loves Sam Fuller. So it all ties in with this episode. Sam Fuller's Shock Corridor, which is uh, from 1963. It's the psychological thriller about this uh, journalist who thinks he's going to like become rich and famous and fancy if he writes like a big expose of what it's like in insane asylums. So he goes in there and it all goes wrong, Pete Tong. So like solid, low budget, down and dirty filmmaking again fitting in with Rodriguez and all that you can see the influence on something like Shutter Island I feel like Shot Corridor for something that feels like is made by three dollars and uh, a couple people's weekend is a really good version of this kind of story of just like <clears throat> the slow descent into madness so yeah Shot Corridor total recommend for kind of more outsider art and then for the most mainstream of all things 75 years ago this week, 1948, saw the release of Red River, which is one of the, like, if if I had to pick a Western that's like, pick a Western that is the most Western of Westerns, might be this one. You got John Wayne, you got Montgomery Clift, you got Walter Brennan, he's running around <laughs> doing the Walter Brennan thing, and, you know, they're they're trying to move cattle, and then it's like after the Civil War, and they gotta move the cattle, and there's, you know a stampede and there's Indians and there's ranchers and there's troubles and they got to get them over the Rio Grande and that kind of thing. And yeah, Red River, Howard Hawks did so many different kinds of movies, did a couple Westerns and his Westerns, like considering he's the kind of guy who did like his girl Friday, which is all like snappy patter fun times. His Westerns are really, really good. So yeah, if you want an absolutely prototypical, if I had to show aliens what a Western looks like, this is probably it. Red River, 1948. Those are my recommendations. Stay classic. Coming in with Katy Perry's roar. Let's go vote for Hillary Clinton, everybody. Woo! Yay! Can't wait to vote for her in a couple years. What could go wrong? Well, not my fault, but... Uh... No, but most importantly, Blurred Lines is finally out of number one. Blurred Lines has been taken down by Katy Perry's Bye. roar. We heard it. Uh, we heard it. Ah, thank you, Katy Perry. Good Lord. Am I happy to hear anything but that song? And this song is even better. I think 11 weeks in number one. It's been all fucking summer. Yeah. Was Roar her final, like, huge, huge hit that just, like, swept everything before it? I want to say it wasn't, but I, yeah. I had a girl who was really into her at the time, and 
of age, uh, <laughs> but like I, there was a lot of Katy Perry in my house well after Roar. I just don't know when it came out. I want to say Firework is before, but that's the one I associate with presidents. So. Oh, because of the interview? <laughs> no, because of the Biden inauguration. Okay, this is uh, the longest show ever, so I might as well make it longer. Because um, remember, the inauguration in 2021 for Biden, we're in the middle of horrible COVID, so they can't do the big party. They just did separate performances, mm-hmm. and they had Katy Perry over by the Lincoln Memorial and she starts singing Firework and then the camera turns around her and behind her is the Washington Monument and then the fireworks go off and I started sobbing. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> the fun, it was sort of the final like relief I was feeling of like, okay, it's going to be okay. I can't wait till the next we're time. We're going to get through COVID. We got through the election. Oh. We're going to get through COVID. We're going to get through everything. It's going to be great. We'll see. It isn't, but... <laughs> I'm not going to jinx anything at this point. That was her last big, big hit. Okay, cool. And that'll come out in about six months. Damn, ah, 10 years okay. ago? All right. Wow. Wow. Um, not that uh, the, the SNL one with the had the, the floss kid. Anyway, moving on. Snapshot by the Stripes, also out this week of 2013, if we didn't say it. 2013, September 8th to the 14th. B-O-O-T-S 2. Me Time by 2 Chains. That's Boats 2, if you're a reader. Now, Then, and Forever, the 20th album by Earth, Wind, and Fire. Work. Cannot be stopped. Fuse by Keith Urban. Back to Life by Sean Kingston. Feels Like Home by Sheryl Crow. The Diving Board by Elton John. Uh, Kiss the Land, the debut of The Weeknd, is 10 years ago? Huh. And AM by Arctic Monkeys, which is on Rolling Stone's Best 500 Albums list. I listen to it. It's good. I I keep meaning to put out like an APB. Does anybody know what happened to the Arctic Monkeys? I thought they were like... (laughs) Like the next big thing, and then I'd never heard from them again. Happens in music. I want, I want them to go on tour with, with Snow Patrol. There you go. <laughs> yes, them. <laughs> Welcome to 2013. A little bit of news to remind you what's happening, the important things in your world. Hey, someone else who performed at that weird inaugural and did a great job. <laughs> that's true. That would be King Jazz Explainer, John Legend. Uh, no, wait, that's Ryan Gosling. And Chrissy Teigen. They marry, and they're still together. Yeah. Still together. 2013 movies. I hate that this is the one I have <laughs> the most love for because it's hard to recommend, but wow. it should be well, seen. Let, let's talk about how films can change the world. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I remember when we were watching Bowling for Columbine, you got to see Michael Moore take ammunition off the shelf of Kmart. It's a big deal and probably a, a bigger step than anybody would have legislated towards putting fewer guns in people's hands. Uh, Blackfish did its job uh, <laughs> showing the horrors of uh, captivity for uh, for killer whales. And- yeah. SeaWorld stock went down something like 40%, mm-hmm. and then they lied to their shareholders about it and got sued and lost even more money. <laughs> I, I had a conversation with a, a friend just, um, you know, if you know me, You've heard me discuss the Disney Fox buyout. Disney had sort of replaced uh, Disney uh, Ice Age had been what SeaWorld was then inserting into a lot of stuff. There was a lot of Ice Age content. Now that's owned by Disney. And I got a sponsored ad after talking about Halloween Horror Nights on my Facebook. SeaWorld spooktacular. I'm like, what the fuck are you? What what are Please tell me. Is the marine life caught up in the the late night Halloween <laughs> thrills? I certainly hope not. I don't want to see it's any. It's a haunted tide pool. <laughs> I'm a dolphin running at you with a chainless chainsaw. 
I I don't. Oh, what the fuck? fuck? If they get if they get chainsaws, we're all so dead. Yeah, <laughs> Sea Sea World's identity was murdered. Yeah. Not unlike the way they uh you know murdered a like couple. that trainer was murdered. Yeah, yeah. By Tilikum the Orca. Yes. Yes. Uh. Yes. yes. But like Blackfish did its job. Like uh, I remember. A lot of I have some I had some friends who worked at SeaWorld at the time and were like, we're not seeing any of this shit. I don't know what you're talking about. And like, well, there's a documentary out there that shows something that you might not even see on the ground working at SeaWorld, caring for animals. You know, there's a process to breaking a breaking a whale. Yeah, well, it it just seems so obvious now that I never really thought about it going to SeaWorld as a kid. Which I, I think hands-on experiences with animals or being close to animals is really important. I mean, the idea that I've like pet a stingray mm-hmm. is just is just really cool to me. But orcas are so fucking smart. And how many of them were captured in the wild and then put into captivity? That seems like a really bad idea. I mean, it, it all does. That's a big change. I was watching a video on like a modern zoo of monkeys because, you know, like... I still love my cartoon version of the zoo. Like it's the rhino next to the, t- and the w- with a set of bars. Then there's the lion. No, I saw this monkey, th- this new monkey enclosure, and it's like there's a river separating you from them, and then another fence, and not even the handlers get in. Like, why are we doing this? Actually, why are we doing this? We have cameras. We can show kids video. Maybe this isn't something we should be doing. Plucking animals out of their environment for our amusement. Maybe that's not the. There's plenty of ways. Our our local museum has animals, but they're indigenous, and they they live in an environment exactly like the one they they would be living there if there weren't fences. Maybe yeah. There's there's got to be some sort of happy medium. I don't I I don't have the answers to that either because I I love seeing these animals, but it can't be argued that maybe the perfect place for a killer whale in an Arctic environment is not Central Florida, Orlando, Kissimmee, mm-hmm. St. Cloud, and it's not. It's a not right to take them out of captivity and then like really make them perform by all yeah. accounts. And by that, I mean, Avatar too. these are the, <laughs> th- these are the first animals we're probably going to be able to talk to express their displeasure uh, with what we've done to them. <laughs> and they, they already yeah. have ways of doing that. Yeah. But Blackfish, sorry, sorry. Blackfish is the documentary that yeah. really shed light on that. Not to be confused with the cove, which is about the slaughter oh, of dolphins. Oh, tough documentaries i don't know if uh, which one's harder what blackfish was kind of tough to watch right because if you you feel so much empathy for them Mm because they're they're smart yeah that's why they can do those tricks and stuff because they can be taught because they're smart yeah i torture my cat all day i don't really ever get the feeling i'm making her sad but Mm. well you're playing with her you're playing with her kind of the way other cats would play with her Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you really, even when I'm singing like the Mission Impossible theme with all meows at her, as I stalk her around the house, she thinks she likes that. <laughs> you think, meow, 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 meow. Uh, That's adorable. Well, it happens. Single man and a cat will get up to all kinds of shenanigans. <laughs> but yes, moving on. See Blackfish. Right, but, uh, yes. you know, you've been warned. Uh, up next, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Andre Royo, uh, Bob Odenkirk, Kyle Chandler, Deo Akini. Akini? Akini, uh, Brie Larson, Caitlin Dever, Shailene Woodley, and Miles Teller in The Spectacular Now. So we have, uh, I feel it's an odd summer for like 2013 nice small coming of age movies. Mm. I feel like we've had a couple of them and uh, and we got another one and it's another recommend. Also, weird fact, Roger Ebert's last four-star review. Really? 
Really? Yeah. Oh, yep. He gave right. Spectacular Now four freaking stars. That alone makes me wish I would have watched it and will we'll recommend it to people. Like, whatever that I'm, guy I'm can find. I'm going to recommend it to people. That guy uh, This is done joy. by the same author as 500 Days of Summer, which mm-hmm. I think is one of the best uh, romantic comedies out there. And it's such a fantastic examination of people's everyday lives before you get to the big dramatic events. Like you are Mm. put in their world. So you see the type of life they're living before they come across, you know, the denouement of the film. And the characters are very believable. It's about a very young high school. Well, a high school alcoholic, basically. Yes. And I, I had, I watched this 10 years ago and I had forgotten that, oh, right. <laughs> so many of his problems are self-caused because he won't stop drinking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he kind of gets a big wake up call when he meets his absentee dad, who is surprise, surprise, a huge giant alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I, I, I remember being this charm, the pants off me. I wish I'd gone back to rewatch it. Is one of the first places where Miles Teller gets a whole bunch of notice of like, yeah, like you were saying, we need new stars. Could mm-hmm. he be? Could we put him in a Top Gun? Yeah, I don't know, but could he hold Maybe Fantastic Four? Could he survive? Maybe. If he can survive Fantastic Four, fine, he's a star. Yeah, and and Shailene Woodley's been going along since with the Descendants. Like that was her, right? Mm. I always forget. You know, and it's like, yeah, she's she's solid. She feels real and relatable and. Yeah, you feel like you know this person. So yeah, go total recommend for Spectacular now. And the next movies I didn't watch, I really hope someone did. You are out of luck in my department. It's going to be the all JR show. Because uh, it's going to be the all no one show, guys. Yeah, couldn't look. Hey, look, had a odd weekend recovering from a hurricane. But uh, I was shocked. I remember seeing this. I'm like, I'm not watching that. And like Luke Besson. What? Uh, produced produced by Martin Scorsese, and I'm trying to remember which ad I grabbed. If it's the one that tries to trick you into thinking Martin Scorsese made it, mm, Vincent Pastore. Yeah. Oh, Tommy Lee Jones, Diana Argon, uh, Agron, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Robert De Niro in The Family. Once you turn on the mob, the mob turns on you. The Witness Protection Program welcomes you to France. Try not to blow your cover. Sure. For years, the Blakes have been running for their lives. Find him. Make him pay. It's a cleanup operation. Get the kids ready. On September 13th, they're somewhere. They fight back. Your family's insane. I know. The family. The family. Oh boy, did this not get reviewed well? Not great. (laughs) So. Do you want to hear the review I read that made me not watch this movie? Please. <laughs> okay. Okay. Please do. So we just talked about Scarface, Patreon.com listeners, uh, which is a three-hour movie, which feels like it's a two-hour movie. Okay? Mm-hmm. The review I read said this is a two-hour movie that feels like a three-hour movie. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh. nope. Nope. I do not have time for that. It's... It's again, it's a fun premise. I know it's based on a French novel that was released as Bad Fellas here in the US, is the, the American title. <laughs> which, yeah, Malavita, which is just, you know, bad life instead of uh, the Malavita. And it's it's always a fun story when it's a fish out of water and you've got mobsters and they've got to blend in somewhere else. We've talked about uh, <laughs> My Blue Heaven and, and good the secret 
uh, follow-up to Goodfellas. This is less of a secret follow-up to Goodfellas in that there is a scene in this where Robert De Niro's character, who is a mobster in witness protection in a small French village, is invited to a screening of Goodfellas. (laughs) And he goes and talks about the movie Goodfellas, starring not Robert De Niro somehow. I'm so confused. And then 80... Yeah. And then, you know, he's tried to deal with normal bullshit, but can't be violent about it. But then he is. And his daughter's falling in love with, you know, some little guy from the village. And Tommy Lee Jones is their handler and he's exasperated. And then 80,000 assassins show up and then everything blows up and burns down. Mm. It's a cute idea. Again, black comedies, man. They are really hard to pull off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's because sometimes everything... it feels like a shocking tone shift that yeah. you, comes out of nowhere. That's what all the reviews say. Massive tonal problems. Uh, and and, uh, and then last, son of a bitch. lastly, we have Ty Simpkins, Lynn Shea, Rose Byrne, who is a great leatherhead in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Patrick Wilson. Yeah. Uh, it's number one at the box office. It's Insidious Chapter Two. From the director of The Conjuring. How can you stop evil? No, please, no. Is there something wrong with Daddy, Mom? When it's inside you. Oh my god. I went into that place to get our son back. Something evil followed me. Get out of my head! Insidious Chapter 2. There's someone standing in front of you. What's he saying? He's got your baby. He's got your baby. He's He's got got your your baby. baby. Oh! Naked old lady holding baby. Okay. Insidious 2. Disservice this episode. I did not get to this. I don't know much about the series, to be honest. Um, Um... I I know that this is not as well reviewed as the first one. I know a lot of people, horror fans that that really like the first Insidious, think it's pretty solid. And this is just sort of like, yeah, more of the same. It's typically the way of things, especially they're they're not going off of a, what you might call it, a bunch of Conjuring half canon. This is you just have to sequelize. Didn't you solve the whole problem before? Ah, but it got a little of the evil on my shoe on the, <laughs> the way back and. Didn't stop it from being a total powerhouse. Five million dollar movie making a hundred and seventy million dollars at the American yeah, box they, office. They, they shot it in like three weeks. It's it's like twenty shooting days. It's yeah, amazing. Pretty incredible. I really, I'm in my it's spooky season, so I really wish I could have uh, watched it. Why don't we move on to TV instead of apologizing? Because there's something okay. here I've watched one thousand yeah. times and it never gets old. Jenny McCarthy joins the View as a new co-host. Yeah. No, where's the no. applause? Uh, she lasts one season, and a uh, whole lot of drama happens. I couldn't remember what, what the drama was on the View. Who guessed? Well, they well because the View someone all... who's been famous and disconnected from reality for twenty something years. <laughs> no, well, they also always have like a, a conservative person who is disconnected from reality and doesn't like being mm-hmm. reconnected with it either. That tends to argue with everyone else. Where mm-hmm. does Jenny McCarthy stand in that? So I always we associate her with the anti-vax stuff, but yeah, yeah, drama, drama. Only mm-hmm. only Whoopi can keep it together. Keep her off that sitcom. Yep. And then, uh, ladies and gentlemen, what decade is this? Arsenio. Hall! <laughs> <laughs> no, not that one. Not that one. Nope. Uh, the Arsenio Hall reboot, and I'm trying to remember what the famous thing is I saw on this show because it only had like one viral moment, and it wasn't good. Not even timely. Arsenio shouldn't should have had a, a show on the air within minutes after his show leaving the air because he was kind of ousted non ceremoniously. He was he still could have done done a talk show at a time when they're launching a ton of new talk shows. 
our studio yeah. shouldn't have ended as early as it did. But like, why? Like, I don't know. What if you announced Conan O'Brien has a new talk show? I'd be like, yeah, I'm never gonna watch that. Twenty years later. Nope. Uh, yeah, I can't believe that Arsenio the first time went off the air in 94. I mm-hmm. thought he made it much farther into the 90s. Just five years. It, just because he had such an outsized impact of, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, we've talked about all the talk show wars and the idea that, oh, Tonight Show's for old people. Carson's <laughs> so old. And to have this, like, yeah. young, hip, urban, he's going to have, like, rap stars. All, oh, my oh, goodness. Beyond that, no what Johnny Carson would never have the fucking balls to interview Rolf, Macho Man, Randy Savage, and Jason Voorhees in character. <laughs> Arsenio did. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, I always found it strange that they didn't find another avenue for him somewhere you know take it down to a half hour of just like one guest or like there's so many he's he's a very good interviewer he's very mm-hmm. personable and fun. he gets people talking very easily and he's, he's just fun to watch he's he's a cool guy yeah give him another show yes eh. and then also this week too young to marry debuts on oxygen that's I don't like exactly what you think it is moving on just okay <laughs> uh and the I'm show here- if you're under 25, you are too young to marry. There. Uh, you have to be able to rent a car on your honeymoon. The uh, the Delaware of shows ends this week, and by that I mean a show I'm told exists, but I have never met anybody who's been there or has any pictures of it. <laughs> never seen a meme from it. Wait, does this mean this show doesn't have sales tax either? Oh, I hope so. Uh, <laughs> That would make a 10 years worth of accounting so much easier. Uh, Burn Notice ends on the USA Network. Dude, dude, my dad loved this show. Was he it, loved this show. Was it, and what's not to love? Was it like one of those Nick Cannon shows where like you, you, you trade insults and you're like, boom, you just served him a Burn Notice. God damn, that mama no. joke was awesome. No, it was no fun. it's, it's, it's about, uh, good guys doing bad things, early 2000s show. You know, it's, it's yeah. you're 24 without the gimmick. It's a procedural with long interconnecting plot lines and maybe the most successful thing Bruce Campbell has ever been in. Probably. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah. Sadly, yes. Probably. He was he was wonderful in that. He was a total draw of like, yeah, where Jeffrey Donovan plays a, you know, he's like a former CIA guy. Now he's been disavowed and he's got to, you know, keep away from other spies while also acting as an investigator. And so yeah, you can have a story of the week and you can have a little mystery. You got Gabriel Anwar and uh, yeah, Bruce Campbell is like his schlubby buddy who wears a lot of Hawaiian shirts and has some quips. It's, it's great. Like, what do you want? It is, is the perfect like Sunday afternoon TV. Oh, and and then a a show I just learned this week, what it is. The opposite of a Sunday, (laughs) Sunday afternoon brunch TV show. Peaky Blinders debuts. Oh, it debuts on BBC. I, I just because of this era, I always associate it with Netflix. Uh, but yeah, obviously, BBC is still making programming, and Netflix is still licensing it. I yep. just learned that is the name of their gang, which is adorable. <laughs> I, I thought it was a maneuver of some kind. <laughs> I didn't think it was a pair of blinders, Venetians. No, I thought it was a maneuver of some kind. But no, Peaky Blind. Tell me more about Peaky Blinders. I don't know a fucking thing. Period crime show, a set go. in England post World War One. So, like ninety percent of the young men have PSTD. The economy is crap for a while, and they don't have prohibition. But you've got all these gangs because they don't really have a mafia there. But they've got like Jewish gangsters, Scottish gangsters, a couple of Russian gangsters, and I think the protagonists are Romani gangsters. But mm. like. Romani who have been in England for a long time. Yeah, Irish travelers. 
Yeah. That's what they're called. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. And yeah, uh, I'd uh, say this is probably the most famous clip from the show. I see it referenced all the time. From the cavalry, no fighting. Oi! No fighting. No fucking fighting. No fighting. No fucking fighting! Tell him, Oppenheimer. Please tell me a fight breaks out right after. Keep going, keep going. <laughs> a waiter bumps him on the door on the way out, pushes him to the ground, and another guy throws a glass at his head. Uh, it's not a fight. It was an but, assault. Uh, yeah. Didn't fight back. So, yeah, this is a it's, God, it's been on my list. I can't believe it's 10 years now. It's been on my list of like, this sounds like this was built for me. And because I'm a history nerd and I like stuff like, you know, I, you want a British gangs in New York? Yes. Yes, I do. It's got Cillian Murphy. It's got a deep bench. Cillian Murphy, Sam Neill's in there. Uh, Anya Taylor-Joy shows up. Tom Hardy shows up. Patty Constantine. Freaking Stephen Graham. Like, everybody, the, a British, hey, it's that guy, will pop up at some point. Hmm. Adrian Brody shows up? Oh, my goodness. And they, they cover the general strike of 1926. Awesome. Oh. I need to watch this show. And I keep putting it off. And I shouldn't. I I t- same. I put the show yeah. off from rewatching this episode of one of the best shows ever, if not the best episode of the entire series. Ooh. It is at least the best episode of the last se- last season. Now and bringing this... it all back home, this show would not Almost. exist without X Files. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Vince. Gilligan. This specific episode usually makes the list of best episode of Breaking Bad of all time, and it usually makes the list of best episode of TV of all time. It's it's almost yeah. fucked up for the amount of shit that goes on in this in this one episode and that there's still more. How could all this happen in one single episode? It, it it's always I always that's why I like rewatching it because I can't piece it together. Like uh, yeah, H- Hank arrests his brother-in-law and I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't want to say it if you haven't seen it yet because it is so good. And I think Jr. The commercial was the commercial as teasery as I remember. Yeah, yeah. Because I remember if you watch like next on Breaking Bad, and it was just this. A traveler from an antique land who said, two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them, on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command. Tell that its sculptor well those passions red which yet survive, stamped on these lifeless things. The hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty and despair. And all around was dust. And and, oh. and all it is is okay. shots of the terrain of the show with no characters. Oof. That they don't, they, that, that, that monologue's never in the episode. But no, I, no, it, no, it's a famous poem. It's referenced in The Sopranos once. And by God, now I wish we had Gandolfini mm. saying this poem uh. on recording. Somewhere. Hey, it'll all be dust. All right, so, all right, so <laughs> to go back, uh, why I said. Breaking Bad wouldn't exist without the X-Files. Vince Gilligan was a writer on the X-Files and he wrote a particular episode that they ended up casting Brian Cranston 
back before Malcolm in the Middle, back way the fuck mm-hmm. when, and he was like, that guy. I got to do something with that guy. Yep. I I don't remember this teaser. I just remember seeing like on the the little TV guide thing coming up. It's like I I gotta I gotta put a tape in or whatever I'm doing to record this and seeing just the title of the episode is Ozymandias and thinking oh no oh oh no because I know that extremely famous line look upon my works he might be in despair and realizing that this is going to be him at the height of all of his powers. But the point of the poem is that. Ozymandias is long dead. Fuck that guy. Mm. He he exists well, only as a name on a piece of rock in the middle of dust. Except that's factually incorrect. Ozymandias I... is Ramsey II, who yes. is, while not exactly a household wor- word, you can go on Amazon and buy like five or six biographies on the dude. Okay? That's not, yeah. you know, completely forgotten. So it's He's probably the pharaoh of the Exodus story in the Bible. It's So it's not... <laughs> big deal it's not the corporate guy in watchmen then no okay i know that's what other people were probably thinking like oh it's gonna turn out he's got superpowers no i i I, that's that was feeling of dread in my chest when i saw oh no it's called ozymandias oh no but it's such a perfect episode given everything that's preceded it because it just brings the story this is called the anti-penultimate episode (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to say god damn it jr for putting the word anti-penultimate you know what comes before anti-penultimate which is the third no, to last tell me pre-anti-penultimate pre-anti-penultimate yes oh my gosh i learned a new word today there every word chance the, i get the fourth from the end pre-anti-penultimate mm. okay we gotta uh, keep going this show's a million years long yeah but, uh, uh, but uh, here's the thing diana you know mm-hmm. i've often said that heidi kennedy and heidi episode of the Sopranos was the pre-anti-penultimate episode <laughs> of The Sopranos. Uh, but it's great. Everyone, if you haven't re-watched this episode, do it. It's it's so good. You're the smartest guy I know. He made his decision. Yeah. Oh, oh, God, it's such a good episode. And and I, w- I was thinking a lot of the episode leading into it as well. Like, those are just great, man. Breaking Bad, Believe the Hype. I know it's been overhyped quite a bit, but I've watched much television in the last 10 years, and a l- much of it is not as good as Breaking Bad. Still isn't. Uh, moving on to the video games of 2013, September 8th to the 14th, Amnesia Machine for Pigs. <laughs> Great title. Jesus, this is the darkest title of any media I've ever heard. Cruel, a cruel a machine game. Machine for Pigs. Yeah. Wow. A, a game. Because you're playing. The, the person in a machine for pigs. Yes. You know, this is not becoming more powerful until you defeat the big bad. This, this is about is, descent and being trapped in a world that will kill you and barely hanging on. For my money, Amnesia was the scariest game I have ever played to the point where I did not play it again and I did not follow it into the sequel because, like, I can't... I I at least need, like, a 90-minute structure that says I'm allowed to leave. I, I, <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't do that to myself for that long. But I, th- that's me giving them kudos, but I never played a machine for pigs. Um, another machine for pigs I did play, Kingdom Hearts HD 1.5 Remix. You can watch that streamed in its entirety on our YouTube channel. What a huge mistake that was. Brett and I are playing through the entirety of Kingdom Hearts. That is out for PS3. Can we play the PS4 one? I can't remember. Puppeteer is out for PS3. At the time, uh, one of their much, much lauded exclusives. I did not ever One of the most charming non-nintendo games i've ever seen okay and 
by God, is it a good hook for a video game as a visual thing because you're a puppet and they put so much heart into it. Your heads are both your heart containers and inventory management, which is a really interesting system because you're a puppet and you've lost your head. So then you can put a skull on your head, a banana on your head, a guillotine on your head, and each one gives you different abilities. And when you get hit, you lose that head and another comes up. But if you lose them all, you die. It's interesting. Yeah. Uh, on the total flip side of the coin, <laughs> this is why games are so much more different than films. Ultra realistic war simulator Arma 3. Arma 3 is out. I did not play Arma 3. But uh, it did spawn a lot of other stuff. Didn't it spawn DayZ, the Arma 2? Anyway, Volgar the Viking is a game I did play and very much enjoyed. Sort of a spiritual successor to Ghosts uh, and Goblins but you are a Viking who throws a dope spear that you can also use to get uh, reach higher areas. A really, really great traditional old-school side-scroller that's fucking tough, but uh, but rewarding. Volgar the Viking, very recommended. And that is almost the end of our show. We're going to tell you who died <laughs> and who lived, uh, who was a quiz you can play along with. But before that, we got to tell you to patreon.com slash laser time. Get ready for that Evil Dead Elm Street nightmare. It's spooky season officially in the next <laughs> week or so and watch that to give a little uh teaser for it Mm -hmm. i looked up how many books bound in human flesh harvard university has in the real world for real Uh, and i was i I was shocked that the answer is more than zero yeah i was shocked the answer wasn't none it is more than zero god damn it (laughs) and i'll give you one last hint it's more than one I, oh I, I saw God. the thread in the Laser Time Facebook community, and I, the, the guy who answered, like, yeah, there's some, but a lot of them are with fraternities. I'm like, that is some dark information to know. <laughs> <laughs> fraternities holding on to books bound by human skin? Yeah, apparently a oh thing. My, oh, my God. It's, it, is it 18, or were you answering that later? I'll answer it on the Patreon. Oh! So if you... <laughs> Oh, check it out. Patreon.com. Give us five bucks. Watch Conan O'Brien's 10th anniversary special and enjoy a brand new episode about Scarface and Evil Dead coming up. Uh, Die, where can folks find you at? Oh, Video Game Apocalypse. Yes, Chris Baker's on this week. I love Chris Baker. He's talking about his new book, Lightsabers, X-Wings, and uh, Scorpion Vader. Silly stuff about the Star Wars video game universe and how it happened Hmm. from a guy who knows his shit. Superhero VG on YouTube, Chris Baker, rules. Uh, Di, what about you? Where can folks find you at? Well, I have decided to leave the Twitter for now because um, Nazis, just a ton of Nazis. Remember last week where I said, hey, uh, I got served an ad that was explicitly about promoting Nazi ideals. Uh, In the last week, the owner of the site has decided that that's cool and good. So I'm taking a break from the Twitter, but you can find me as listening nerd on both threads and blue sky i will try to cross post stuff there as i just yeah just take a break yeah i i I always turn off my twitter notifications and with every automatic update it turns them back on Mm -hmm. and all of my i don't ever use twitter and i don't follow any of these people all of my notifications have been from tim pool ben shapiro Mm -hmm. matt walsh like, what is going on? I don't follow these people. I don't follow anybody like these people. Why do you keep showing me the nuttiest of the nutty? Because uh, it wants my... your hate. Yeah. yeah. It wants your mm-hmm. hate because that makes the monster grow bigger. And when it shows me something yeah. from the left, it is exclusively Occupy Democrats, which makes me want to fucking pull my head out, head off mm. my shoulders with its yeah, silliness. I... It's yeah. Twitter, 
where X is sitting back and going, good, good. Let the hate <laughs> not gonna flow get me. through you. Not going to yeah. get me. Just all ignored, thrown in yeah. the trash. Yeah, I, I was fighting the good fight of uh, reporting people who were just swarming any trans person who exists. And it's uh, that only works if there are actual consequences for uh, bigotry, and there clearly are not. So... Taking a break, I encourage others to do the same. Yes, if I could maybe give a PSA here. I I don't don't want to support that. I don't use Twitter as much as I used to uh, or at all, but I understand its value and I've used it for research purposes plenty. It's it's Mm -hmm. a valuable tool, but the sooner we back away and start that somewhere else, the sooner we can stop talking about it. So I just wish people would... I can't can't influence anything, but I just wish people... You can do this on another platform. We don't need X anymore. Let it die hilariously. We'll watch from afar as it burns and none of the fumes can can contact us. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so since I'm not on the Twitter, but I am on uh, the threads and the blue sky for now. But coming up next week, uh, we got some good stuff. And uh, next week we have <laughs> Wolverine and Mysterio and the Riddler in a movie directed by the guy who directed Dune. It is not any fun. <laughs> Do oh. not get ready for excitement. <laughs> Oh. But it's a fucking good movie. Holy shit. Oh and uh, yeah, it's a bummer, but it's a good bummer. It's the, my kind of bummer. And then uh, we also have Kate Beckinsale is going to fight for the vampires and kill a bunch of werewolves. Oh. That's right. Age of Innocence. Oh. <laughs> God damn it. I finally have to watch that. Yeah, you should. And if that wasn't enough. Oh, I think there's going to be more TV. Is anyone hungry for some tossed salads and scrambled eggs? What? Yeah. And it's going to get blue at the NYPD. (gasps) What? Whatever, dickweed. And (laughs) arguably the single most profitable piece of media of all time anywhere ever. Hmm. I can't guess this. I thought I knew what it was offhand, but... The way JR saying it, the way the dates line up. Ooh. Oh, wait, I think I know what it is. Yes. Golly. I, yes. I, I'm a little stumped. Um, is this, wait, is this something from Japan? No, but it's something no. your husband knows a lot about. Oh, uh, okay. Moving on. Doing to, the dishes. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Sounds like a great, great partner. <laughs> Making yeah. the bed. Yeah. Um, yeah, he does the dishes. I take out the trash. That's gender role reversals, you know, just like the X-Files. Yeah. Anyway. Killer possums out there. Why is he letting you outside? Because uh, I like possums. Killer skunks. Yeah. I like them, except for the one part. <laughs> All right. Anyway, stop dilly-dallying. Uh, let's talk about deaths this week, because we have a whole pile of them. In 1993, Islam, we lost Raymond Burr, who was 76. No. Ironside, Perry Mason, the bad guy in Rear Window. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those Perry Masons are pretty fun. I, I do like rewatching them. Let's not forget American Godzilla. <laughs> oh, right. The American Godzilla. And, 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 and then, Godzilla and, 85. He was. And they bring him back for 85. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sad to say he lived his light in the closet. He, he was uh, he was gay. And he made up a fake child and wife who died in a car accident to explain why Jesus. he wasn't married. Yeah. That's how oh. fucked up shit used to be, man. Uh, was he, he closeted, to, your closeted till death? Yes. Wow. I believe so. Yeah. Uh, I think I knew that. And, then in 2003, we already mentioned we lost John Ritter, who was 54. That is so deeply unfair. He would have been such a great character actor in mm-hmm. stuff to this day. Mm-hmm. And Johnny Cash, who was 71, who is uh, a guy literally everyone has a Johnny Cash song they like. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter who you are or where you're from or what kind of music you like. Johnny Cash, man. 
I've never seen someone quite steal a popular a popular song like they did with Nine Inch Nails Hurt. Like yeah. that was already a hit, and it's like it, it's like it doesn't exist. Uh, people will use this song all the time instead. Guess how many albums he released in his life? Oh my God! Well, back in the day that you did like three a year, it was, I don't know, thirty. Thirty, Chris. Uh oh, that sounds so emphatic. Uh, uh fifty. Ninety-one. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah, the man worked. Woof. Yeah, he did. He did. And for Halloween season, I got to recommend uh, the night the skeletons came to life. The bones <laughs> are their money, and so are the worms. And <laughs> more. <laughs> sorry, more. I think you should leave references right. for no reason. All right. Yep. Oh, I didn't even mention. Next week, we're going to talk about the Mister Show movie. Oh. Oh, talking about dead things. Anyway, in 2003, we also lost Edward Teller, who's 95. And if you've seen Oppenheimer, now you know who I'm talking about. That's the inventor of the hydrogen bomb, the one who puts all the sunscreen on <laughs> to protect himself from a <laughs> fucking atomic blast. Hey, it worked. Yeah. Lived to be I, 95. He made it. That's kind of, yeah, didn't get all of the cancer. And also Lenny Riefenstahl, who's 101, <laughs> who is Hitler's favorite filmmaker. She just got married. Yeah. Yeah, she did. <laughs> yeah. She just really enjoyed that honeymoon, you know? And, yeah. Uh, yeah. On, on an iron lung. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Your view of the Nazis is her lens. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I wish she had used her powers for good instead of evil. And uh, uh, finally, in 2013, we lost Ray Dolby, who is 80. Dolby Sound Systems, Dolby yeah. Tape, Dolby Laboratories. Ray Dolby, he invented noise reduction system for uh, sound recording. He was part of developing what became the VCR. You got your Dolby digital sound to this day. Mm-hmm. Fuck Ray Dolby, he figured it out, starting analog and turning it to digital. Right down your Atmos. All right, yeah. good on you, Ray Dolby. But with those deaths out of the way, what do we got, GR? We got the bubble birthday, birthday quiz. Birthday. Oh, birthday is a doodly doo, a ding dong doodly doo. All right. They would be turning 40 if they had not joined the 27 Club back in 2011. Born 14th September 1983 at Chase Farm Hospital in Gordon Hill, Enfield, to Jewish parents. Her father was. Yes. Winehouse? I got it. It is Amy Winehouse, isn't it? It is Amy Winehouse. We both got it. Okay, we both got it. I was waiting to hear if the birthplace was England or not. (laughs) Yes. So uh, she attended tap dance school at a young age, founded a short-lived rap group called Sweet and Sour. She started toying around with her brother Alex's guitar and eventually uh, began working for World Entertainment News, singing with a local group. She began to have some big success back in 2003. She only released two albums, so not like Johnny Cash. Uh, Frank in 2003 and Back to Black in 2006. There is an upcoming film based upon her life. Oh, no. Mm. Uh, Fingers crossed on that, I guess. Uh, British actress Marissa Abela will play her. Fine. Mm. Sure, that's... It's just... just, I hated that... I I only knew a couple songs by Amy Winehouse, but it was just like, what an undeniable talent. Mm -hmm. And I think more than anything... Maybe I'll just phrase it like this to any young people listening, and I know that's 
you, we don't have any like teenage aspiring pop stars. When all your critics are predicting you're going to be dead at 27, the most punk rock thing you can do is defy them. And yeah. I just I hated how Amy's wine it went the way everybody expected it. It sucked. It what it, it, it was awful. It was an awful train to watch from a distance. I'm not big on the gossip rags, but she was inside of them, and it just just one of those icky things about society that I know didn't help her. And no. I, I feel like a lot, we had uh, Whitney Houston pretty recently, right? It was the same mm-hmm. thing of like, this is such an undeniable talent. Mm-hmm. This story is so emblematic and sad that, yeah, we're just going to see film versions of this over and over and over. And I hope any of them come close to doing it justice because it's a, it's not fair. It's It makes me angry. It's just not fucking fair. Seriously, you know how funny it would be to like see you on Instagram next to headlines forecasting your death? All these out of out of work gossip columnists just ha ha ha. Uh, like her Dewey defeats Truman of like happy 80th birthday, Amy Winehouse. Fight, <laughs> fight for. And when your hit lead song is your hit is not wanting to go to rehab, it just god damn it, god damn it. I hated how forecasted it was, and it should have ended differently. Hopefully, we can figure ourselves out as a culture because don't want any more entrance yeah. in the twenty seven uh, club ever, ever, nope. ever, ever. Nope. Nope, it's too damn young. That's and now I, I used to think, oh man, that's a, the perfect age to go out. And I'm like, that's you're a baby. Yeah, like See, who- I never thought that. Even when I was, I did think 27 was old, but I never thought it was a good time to go out at. You know, mm. I was always like, it's not. Everyone gets to live to be a hundred, right? I will get to live to be a hundred, right? No, I, right. I in two years, I am free to give up on life. Not a 27 year old. You, you have to ha- experience like some, some a lot more tragedy before you can give up. Well, let's not quite go that dark, Chris. It'll make let's ten see. seasons. <laughs> It'll be a, a stretch Patreon goal. <laughs> God damn it! Oh, I don't, I don't have the heart for whatever Amy Amy Winehouse was ingesting. I don't think I could do that. All right. So, well, I was gonna take us out with Mr. Jones by Counting Crows because. Even though it's not really my kind of music, I think someone gave me August and Everything After as a gift. I and love that album. <laughs> it's a fucking good album, man. Album. It's got some great songs on it. Mr. Jones is, you know, the lead single, but I prefer most of the other songs on it. You know, this is really catchy. It's, but I liked it because it still remains one of the more interesting pop songs in terms of pop, yeah. like getting pop radio play. Mr. Jones is very weird. Yes, it, it definitely is. But. I didn't know about Amy Winehouse would have been 40 this week, which, oh, that breaks my heart. So I think we should go out with Tears Dry on their own, which is probably my favorite song of hers. It's I only was going to push Bill Nye's uh, Morrissey cover, uh, Inertia. (laughs) That's the only thing I was going to go to bat for. So Winehouse it is. (laughs) Tears on their own. Amy by Amy Winehouse will take us out. Thank you guys so much for listening. Patreon.com slash laser time. We will see you next week. He walks away. The sun goes down, he takes